This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is a very special episode. Ladies and gents, I promised this one a while ago and I intend to deliver. Stand and deliver, as Adam and the Ant said. Don't know where I'm going with this intro. It's already off the fucking rails. But yeah, this is John Carpenter January. Now I'm going to be doing a whole series of, not John Carpenter style shows uh, throughout the year, but a whole series of shows dedicated to um, what's going to be directors, maybe even actors that have some tenuous connection, probably alliteration to the month that I'm recording in hence John Carpenter January real no thought in that at all Um, but yeah, so uh, the whole purpose of these is to kind of tackle stuff that I generally wouldn't do on a standard show for whatever reason um, it's probably worth saying before we kick right into this son of a bitch that you are listening to episode 166 of the podcast under the stairs John Carpenter January and um, I have two special guests joining me for this episode um, the first one will be tackling the first review with me the second one will be tackling the second review with me and the first one is right here right now on the intro we don't usually do this but I will be honest, laziness has taken over my Saturday and it's just easier to get one early because I don't know where the conversation is going to go. He is one half of the phenomenal Scott and Liam versus Evil podcast. He is my friend and yours. Liam, how you doing, sir? Hey, hey, hey. Good morning, Duncan. <laughs> it is a morning, but we are recording this nice and sharp. It is not midday yet. The weather is, for lack of a better word, awful. Um, and we're about to talk about a movie which reeks of optimism. <laughs> Truly, truly does. <laughs> How you doing? I'm quite good. Uh, I've got stitches in my ear just now. Why? Uh, I'm uh, only finding out about this now. Oh, did I not send you the pictures? No. <laughs> oh, I have no idea who I sent those pictures to. <laughs> <laughs> I was the cat was going off his head the other night there, and uh-huh. I tried to stop him. I tried to calm him down, and I've got a foosball table. Yep. And he was underneath it, and I put my head in to try and just try and reason with my boy like <laughs> come on man just settle, settle yourself and he tried to jump up and bop me in the nose and then I threw my head up and the, the underneath the foosball table just would clean through the top of my ear Jesus uh, Christ oh, I bled like a stuck pig and <laughs> when I was in bed and I looked my mum and dad live next door so I looked uh-huh. out and I seen their light was still on so I went in and I was like mum you need to fix me <laughs> so she put the steady uh, kind of strips on it yeah, and it seems to be have held together, but we are taking a stitch apart of it. And I was like, "Thank God you were up, because if you weren't, I would have just like, put kitchen roll on my face and just lay down and bled out to the morning." <laughs> <laughs> the first recorded case of someone dying by a cut to the ear. <laughs> I, th- I do think that's possible. 
I'm not a doctor, but I do think you could you could die from an ear wound. It, it feels like I could die. So right now I'm totally Vincent Van Gogh it with. <laughs> I thought you were going to, well, originally when that story was coming out there. I thought what you were going to say is Boris had done it to your ear, and I was like that that cat would not do that. I've met him. He's the only cat in the history of cats that I've ever met that I actually like that likes me. Yes, he he's such a wee did one. Yeah, <laughs> but he, he was he was being such a a wee idiot, just diving about. So he did cause it, but yes. he didn't actually physically do it. So it's okay. He still gets his yeah. treats and his cuddles. Man <laughs> is the problem in this situation. Man's always a problem. Yeah, and man not interacted with the cat. The cat would have got over that little bad spell and been fine for the, for the rest of the day. But man got involved and look what happened. Lee. Man will do no good. That is the, the the way of life, Duncan. It's literally the the ethos that I think that John Carpenter lives by as well. Linking it back to our, our director here, um, he's not he's not the most optimistic guy. And we're going to have a bit of a discussion on the big JC later on. Um, the important JC in my life. I know some other people's worship another JC, but he's the real JC to me, and he can stand up whenever he wants. You stand up, JC. Um, yeah, oh dear, don't know where I'm going. You you could liken them as well, you know. One one of them, one of them was crucified on the cross. Another one was unfairly crucified in his career. That guy should be. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. I, I, I thought I had this one. I thought I had took this on a tangent, but yeah, apart from offending apparently one half of the world's like religious population, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so John Carpenter January for me was an excuse. Like really an excuse. It had nothing to do with the fact that January is always the worst month for me to plan shows in. Because I take two weeks off over Christmas and then I come back and I'm like, I need to think of content. So the first month is always a hodgepodge of trying to segue things to make sense. And then I thought, you know what's kind of cool is this idea of doing these like one-offs every month. Like what's already kind of battering around in my head just now is maybe a Filchy February or... I mean, because I've done a lot of Filchy, uh, maybe like a Fabio Frizzy February. So I, I do like pick a couple of movies in the genre where Frizzy did the score from that I haven't already reviewed. This sort of idea where I can start like doing something quirky and fun. And when I kind of thought John Carpenter, the first thing that came through my head is, well, I have done a massive round table on John Carpenter before where we discussed all his movies in part many reviews. Um, and I have covered plenty of John Carpenter on this show already that if I was ever going to take a run at it, I would pick two movies that I've always kind of wanted to discuss in greater detail, but never discussed on podcasts under the stairs. Purely because the link to get it into a horror podcast would be tenuous to say the least. Which led to, I think, it's difficult when picking favourites from John Carpenter in general for me. Because I genuinely just think, I would say 95% of what he's ever put out has been of such a high standard. But I thought Assault and Precinct 13 was a good place to start. Because in a lot of respects is one of the early Carpenters that I saw. Um, so you're going to join me for that review. Andy Blockley is going to come on later on and discuss a movie that he has been bugging me for the last four years to review on podcast under the stairs, and I told him it would never happen. Um, and it's a movie that if I had to tell you what were the three most influential movies in my childhood, um, it would be in that three for sure. Is Big Trouble in Little China, uh, a movie that I wore the VHS out of uh, just from watching. I, it genuinely, is one of my favourite all-time movies growing up so he's going to jump in on that one I 
All for Assault and Precinct 13 to you is, uh, you were the first guest I actually asked uh, if they want to be involved there. Of course you snapped up because it's Assault and Precinct 13. Um, but before we get talking about the movie and take a break and shit like that, um, there, there are a couple of tangents I want to switch to, but the first one is more on like Assault and Precinct 13 in general. Um, is it a movie you visit often? Because I don't, and I love it, every time I watch it I'm almost bowled over by how good I think it is and I don't want to preempt a discussion on it but is it a movie in the Carpenter catalogue you revisit often no yeah uh, but much the same as you is one that I hold in such high regard but there's there's more of Carpenter's back catalogue that I think lends itself to multiple rewatches yeah like things like they live I could watch that every night for a month yeah. and I wouldn't, I wouldn't get sick of it I think I saw Precinct 13 is it's so good but the reason it's good and I know we'll get in it is the kind of tension and I think that lends itself more to do you know what just an occasional rewatch yep. and it holds up being brilliant I think if you watched it again and again and again you would maybe start noticing little little holes that annoyed you about mm-hmm. it and I don't ever want to do that with a Carpenter film there we go see that's that's what they call a pro answer in the business Liam <laughs> that almost sounded like you scripted it and I know for a fact you didn't I know. Uh, yeah I, de- I definitely didn't <laughs> 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 um, so, like I said at the start here, uh, you guys, uh, you and um, the fantastic Scott, uh, have this podcast. I love it. I genuinely love it. You educate me in new disgusting terms week on week. Uh, <laughs> and just when I think the bar has been lowered to, to a stage, almost like a limbo bar that is now, you know, no one is getting under that bar. He managed to lower it a little bit more um, in a way where I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? I love it. I love it dearly. I think you guys are nailing it. Um, you, you're kind of, you've been hammering it this month. I love the, the quality of the show is obviously awesome, but the content as well. And you really kind of slid into this groove that we were talking about. Uh, kind of late December when you were on the show um, about you know where you were going and all the rest can you uh, let us know what we can expect from Scott Liam in the next coming weeks uh, has that been announced can you give us a teaser can you can you give us a little uh, nipple twister you say announced that like me and Scott actually plan <laughs> anything <laughs> it's like usually like the Monday we're like alright shit we've, we've got to put something out on Thursday what, what movie are we doing <laughs> And then we decide then. So we'll keep going the way it's been with I'll pick a kind of old film. So we did the we did Nosferatu and mm-hmm. then we did the Invisible Man, which Scott actually liked, which spoiler, fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one that I'm picking is going to be from the forties. Oh nice. And then I'm going to do fifties, sixties, seventies, and then it'll probably then start leveling out again where we're just picking like kind of our favourites or movies we want to watch Scott just keeps picking absolute nonsense that he's never seen or heard of and I still don't believe Scott's ever actually sat through a full film and I hope he's listening to this (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so uh, the last episode was Leatherface which is a movie nobody wanted (laughs) so much promises I remember when they said we're gonna do a Texas Chainsaw Massacre prequel to the original movie as well and I was like oh, I don't know if I want that and they were like yeah but the guys that directed Inside are doing it and I was like right you have my full fucking attention on this like I, w- I want to see this movie and um, yeah I, 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 I just don't know I, I, like, I, it left me perplexed like I, I, I just thought I don't understand I, I actually don't even know what they were aiming for with it at all yeah like, really. I don't think I, I don't think 
anybody knew what they were aiming for. It's just an absolute mishmash of ideas and failed, att- failed attempts at succeeding <laughs> at those ideas. But uh, Stephen Dawes pretty that's... good in it, though. Yeah, he is, and so is the the woman that plays the mum. Yeah. I can't remember her name. Uh, Lily, the, Lily Taylor, Taylor? No, Tyler? No, Taylor. Taylor. Lily Taylor. She's she's very good in it, but just very good acting on the part of two of them doesn't hold up that movie. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, the, the, the Scott and Liam thing is just going to be much the same. We each pick, and then eventually we give the, the Facebook group a pick, and then they go and spoil it with movies like, well, movies that star Lindsay Lohan. Oh, there's a new one coming this year, a werewolf movie, Lindsay Lohan, and a werewolf movie. It's the, it's the movie the world needs. If somebody said to me, Liam, what is the one thing that you don't want in life? Like, venereal disease, <laughs> just other disease, like, <laughs> fatal disease, just anything. Lindsay Lohan making another movie is is there. <laughs> I think, I, I, I always get, like, there's always occasionally, it's because of how warped my mind is. I think about, like, I, I am, I, I'm like a real life jigsaw killer. You know, like, like, just like, <laughs> live or die, you decide. You know, like this sort of thing where I would love to put th- people through these, not death traps, obviously, but uncomfortable situations or scenarios. And the one that always springs to mind when I think of you, and I, it's since you recorded that, um, a, I, I Know Who Killed Me, or whatever the name of that fucking movie is, um, was like, imagine, uh, imagine your face upon reading the news on something like Dread Central, that the they'd continued on with the universal monsters, you know, dark universe thing, and cast Lindsay Lohan as the Bride of Frankenstein. I just imagine your head just fucking melting like that would, scene, <laughs> scene from Indiana Jones. I would literally eat my own eyeballs <laughs> just so, and then I would eat my own ears just so I wouldn't have to even listen to it. <laughs> I just think, I, I don't know what like that came, it came at me like a couple of months ago, and I was like, could you, could you imagine his face? The, the thing with Lindsay Lohan is she's not been good or attractive since Parent Trap. Yes, and that was that was a while ago. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I think she should just be left. Right? Do you know what? Her, Herbie Reloaded didn't work. I know who killed me didn't work. Any other dreadful nonsense <laughs> that she's been in didn't work. Just stop casting her. Yeah, stop giving her. Stop giving her money. Stop encouraging her. <laughs> it's usually, I'd say that about the thing about people, and if I like, if I met them, I would gush and like it would totally change it. I'd be like, that Lindsay Lohan's actually quite cool. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think she's the only person that even if I met her, I would spit on her. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't spit on her. That that is that is outrageous. But uh, in my head, I would be spitting on her. Yeah, you I'd would be. Like, I, yeah, you. I, I still don't enjoy you. Like, <laughs> I, I think there would be a smell, like a kind of sulfur smell coming from her that's just awful <laughs> oh I, th- I, I can't top that i can't top that so i think what we'll do on that on that um on that bombshell <laughs> uh, which i'm not going to argue with because i'm i'm there with you brother fight the fight <laughs> with you uh, we are gonna we're gonna take a break and um you're gonna hear promos for shows that i love you're gonna hear the trailer for our first movie review uh, featuring liam oh i'm looking forward to this one this is the first of two movie reviews on the john carpenter january we're gonna be looking at assault on precinct 13 from 1976 all that more coming right up right after this want to learn more about horror directors with a light-hearted look at three of their movies meet fearless podcaster gore blimey I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. 
discover horror films that are classics, and others, too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep-fried prostitute. But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information, too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. Freeze. This is the police. Drop your weapons and place your hands above your heads. On Saturday, six members of the gang known as Street Thunder were ambushed by the police. On Sunday, Cholo. the warlords of Street Thunder swore a blood oath to avenge their dead. For the gang called Street Thunder, it is a day of vengeance. It's war in the streets. Oh, Jesus, come on. Come on, I'll give you my money. Just don't hurt me, please. Please. It's terror in the night. It's the most shattering assault on a police station in history. Assault on Precinct 13. This is the siege. It's a goddamn siege. You want to stay here and hold until somebody comes, okay? We're in the middle of a city, inside a police station. They're not afraid to die. Any of them. They want to rip us apart, no matter what it costs. It means to the death. Precinct 13. Cut off. Isolated in the middle of a city. As a human wave of street killers turns the night into a nightmare. going on down here. We can't find the damn thing. A white-hot night of hate. Assault on Precinct 13. And welcome back, ladies and gents. So let's do this shit. Um, you've just had a trailer for this first of two movie reviews on this episode. This one is Assault on Precinct 13, directed and written by the man with whom this show is in dedication of John Carpenter. Um, yeah, so I saw on Precinct 13 came out 1976. So this is early, early, early Carpenter. Uh, essentially his second proper feature movie after Dark Star, which technically was his college movie, which is mental. Uh, so this is probably, we can see, I think this is his first proper theatrical release, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, legitimate theatrical release. And what a career the man would go on and have. And we are going to touch on Carpenter's kind of career after this review however we need to get into naming some actors and this is where I always stumble so bear with me folks uh, the movie stars Austin Stoker Darwin Joston, uh, Laurie Zimmer Martin West Tony Burton Charles Cyphers Nancy Keys Peter Bruni John H. Fox Mark Ross Alan Coss Henry Brandon K. 
Kim Richards and there are other folks in the movie. Synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as an unlikely partnership between a highway patrol officer, two criminals and a station secretary is formed to defend the defunct Los Angeles precinct office against a siege by a bloodthirsty street gang. That is a good synopsis. I like that one. That one is on point. Um, we already kind of talked about this um, and the, the upfronts about this being a movie which I, I'm, I, I probably agree with you actually on this one. I think it is the sort of movie that does not demand as much repeat viewing and I know there are some people out there that this is their go-to Carpenter movie. Um, I've spoken to a couple of podcasters that have told me whilst it's not their favourite, whenever they're in a, 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 a JC mood, you know, they'll sit down and fling on Assault and Precinct 13. I've never been that way, but I have found every time I've watched it, I walk away thinking, yeah, this guy was always going to be, like, this guy was always going to be one of the best in the genre, for sure, because it's all here. Like, the template for almost every Carpenter movie is in Assault and Precinct 13. It's like, it, it's weird. It's like, when people talk about Dario Argento, and that's right, I've managed to slide Argento in the conversation. Yeah. When people talk about Argento, they, they liken almost every movie he's done, all the successful ones anyway, back to his debut, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. It set out the template of what he classed a jolly to be and how they were doing it. But I think the idea of uh, dread, siege, um, tension like the build-up of characters, you know, some that are, you kind of almost, on, on some respects, the, the kind of, uh, the anti-hero, um, are all kind of set out really well in Assault and Precinct 13, and what he does with his career moving forward is, he kind of takes those scenarios and twists them and manipulates them, or builds on ideas created from characters in this movie to expand out, so it is almost the Rosetta Stone of Carpenter movies, but it's not instantly the one that I'll reach for when I'm in a Carpenter mood. It's it's really, really, really weird. Um, I hadn't seen this movie since the round table for a podcast Under the Stairs, which was, I want to say it's like three or four years ago since we did the Carpenter round table, where we basically reviewed every Carpenter release, because, you know, why not? Um, <laughs> it's like a fucking five-hour podcast. Uh, went through them all step-by-step step and talk, talking about the, the different... But I've not approached it since. I sat down and watched it again last night and it finished and I'm just like, that's a fucking great movie. And I'll be honest, I might get some hate from this one. I actually don't dislike the remake. It is by nowhere near on the same patch as this one. But as remakes go, it tries to, where possible, at least cover a lot of the ground that the first movie does and doesn't try and segue in too much modern kind of politics and all the rest into the movie. It does kind of go back to this is how you do a Siege movie. It's just John Carpenter almost wrote the book on Siege movies um, and you see it right through. I, I don't know, like, is, do you kind of agree with that or am I am I kind of, you know, putting my flag in the sand somewhere that is unstable? No, I, I, I totally agree with it. I think what makes this film is the 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 dread and the, the suspense and the tension. And I think if you did rewatch it again and again and again, that becomes less and less each time. Mm. And then you're left with some characters that you do like and other characters that you don't. But the movie, I think the movie would fall kind of flat eventually if you if didn't have that constant suspense. Mm -hmm. So I would never, ever want that to happen because I like the film so much. Yeah. 
So it's like it's like I, I can see where the hole would be, and I I thus avoid going into that hole <laughs> by not watching it again and again. But like you say, it is it is the Carpenter blueprint. There's a, there's a there's an evil entity that is kind of silent. You don't know what it is, and it's going to keep coming at you. The same as Halloween, and then is it a uh, in all our future movies mm-hmm. where it's, it's a great film man it really is and it, it's it's. I don't even know if it's in my top 5 Carpenter films yet I would still rate it 5 out of 5 all the time yeah I'm exactly the same it certainly is definitely not in my top 5 but if you were to ask me to give it a, a Netflix grade it's a 5 with, with, mm. with a fucking bullet it's a 5 I mean this is a movie that dares to take its time. I mean, there, we are, well, I think we're over 45 minutes into this movie before the actual official siege starts. Which, mm. I mean, when you name your movie Assault on Precinct 13, you're like that, right? So, like, something's going to happen quick in this movie and we're going to be in this siege scenario. And it really doesn't have, I mean, it's a movie that's an hour and a half and you're easily 40 minutes into it before PCs are starting to be put in place. For that one, what we do is we spend a lot of time outside the police station like getting and this is where I think Carpenter shines like, like he spends a bit of time without going into uh, like huge amounts of detail on character development he just lets you exist at ground level with both the heroes and the villains in this movie and you get to build up your opinions of them through what they do on a day to day basis so he's not giving you you know, exposition or history of characters in there. You know, I remember when we survived them. You know, all this sort of shit. We're not doing that. We just get to see them operate in their day-to-day. On on, on, on some level, maybe the mundanity of what they do day-to-day. Um, or, you know, the extreme violence of what they do. And you build up your own opinion of the characters. And I think that's really, really clever storytelling. This movie dares, like, at, at the time, like, we were doing it, but we weren't doing it in cinema. Uh, the Death of the Kid is the one that everyone comes back to. <laughs> uh, because it's that, it's not even just that it's shocking, right? Child death is shocking in a movie. And when you've got a kid, it's even more shocking. But it's the nonchalant way it happens. It's like the character does it with no facial expression at all, no change, um, and then continues about the rest of his actions. And the truest level of uh, kind of psychopathy, it's just, it's, it's, it's so well done. It comes out of so much left field. And then we get this side story about this vengeful dad who's going to get, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get vengeance. And you think maybe that's what the movie's about. No, no, no. Carpenter just likes that idea and takes it to its conclusion. It's grisly, horrible conclusion. But, you know, he just takes it that way. Because to him, that's just an interesting element of the overall story. And I think that's fucking really, really well done. Yeah, de- definitely. I think the, the, the kid shooting scene, the reason he does it so well is the tension it's building before that is with the ice cream man and the gang. The, the, the little girl's a, a kind of sideline. At no point are you thinking, that girl's going to get shot. She's just there. So the, the, the tension is between the ice cream man and the gang. And then the little girl appears you're still not thinking that girl's going to get shot and then it happens yeah and it, ca- it catches you so off guard that you're like oh my god what what is the rest of this movie got in store for me 
Yeah, and it just keeps it keeps going. I think when we eventually get to the siege, but that's the bit on some level that Carpenter has been edging you towards, you know. And he's like, right, we're just going to get there. We're going to get there. Just bear, you're in a safe pair of hands. I know you don't know who I am yet, because uh, no one's seen Dark Star. But just stick with me. Stick with me. Um, we're going to get there. And then you get into the siege elements, and that's when you really start to in the movie get, a, I think, an appreciation for just how good a filmmaker he actually is, and. I mean, we're, we are basically stroking them off here, heavy, in this review. But I, I can't, I can't oversell how how impressive this is for the time period for a guy to have such a strong voice. I mean, the seventies. I've said it many times. The seventies probably are the best decade for genre ever. Not in terms of having necessarily the best movies, but I think the ratio of great movies to bad movies, just because there's less movies being made um, in the genre in the 70s compared to the 80s, I think yeah. some of the, the ones that are formative in terms of if you want to be a horror fan, you need to go... It's, it's almost... I hate, I, I hate people that do this as well and have become one with age. Uh, it's like when I'd be like, oh yeah, I totally love Pantera when I was listening, listening to Metal Grown Up, it was all about Pantera. And uh, people would be like, yeah, but to get a true appreciation of Pantera, you need to listen to Black Sabbath. And I'm like, well, no, I don't. <laughs> so I, I, I don't. I, I, I like Pantera. And if you're telling me that Black Sabbath have a, has a song that sounds like fucking hostile, yes, I will listen to Black Sabbath. But they don't. I think that you, it's, it's easy to say that a band is influenced by without saying to get an appreciation of you have to. But it's weird that the older I get, the more I feel myself sliding towards that. And I think to get an appreciation of how difficult it is to... There are very few filmmakers that really early in their career do what Carpenter does, right? Mm-hmm. I'm spinning us off slightly into the Carpenter conversation. We're going to come back and talk about scenes in Assault and Precinct 13. You look at this guy's filmography, right? And he makes this goofy sci-fi movie, Dark Star, which, I mean, it's it's kind of headier in parts, but it is a goofy fucking movie. Um, And within 10 years of making um, this movie, Assault and Precinct 13, he's done Halloween, The Thing, The Fog, Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China. You know what I mean? That's just off the top of my head. I'm sure Starman and Christine are are in there as well. Um, That's what he does in the space of a decade. There are very few directors who could ever say they have done that. And I mean, almost every single one of them. I have, like, I don't dislike Starman. I just think Starman's a misstep for him. I think Christine's a a good adaptation of a King novel. I just think in in the Carpenter catalogue, it's a good movie. It's just not a great movie. But out with that, every other one of those movies is a home run for me. Just like like Tour de Force of Excellence. Name like <laughs> name another director who didn't come from the seventies like Argento. Um name another director that's done that. I know. It's, it's insane. I, I think where Starman and Christine fall is just because they're bookended by the thing in Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you can you could put any movie in there and it's gonna it's going to pale in comparison to those two. Yeah. But imagine that. Imagine your first proper movie, apart from Dark Star, your first proper movie is Assault and Precinct 13. And, like, what that doesn't that doesn't happen now. Look at indie cinema. Like, they're usually a first movie or two. Yeah, they're good, but in no way is it a complete package. Assault and Precinct, uh, Precinct 13 is so close to being a complete package. Yeah. That 
John Carpenter, he's the best man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, he's, he's definitely my favourite director. So I could be biased here, but I, I think as, a, as far as his back catalogue goes, you don't get another director with as many star movies as this. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, this movie was made for... This is the definition of indie cinema as well in terms of its budget at the time. I mean, it's made for... The, the estimate on IMDb is about $150,000, which, I mean, is a lot more money nowadays, but back then was not a lot of money. <laughs> so, yeah. and when you see what, he's, what he does, the set pieces, the the fact that I mean and a lot of that leads into the fact that it becomes a siege movie you don't have a lot of money to play with so you have to really try where possible to get things in one setting so you can film it because that saves cost you know overall it, it allows you to save that but if I was to put you on the spot and I will because I'm I'm not nice remember earlier on I said imagine Lin- Lindsay Ho- Lohan being cast as the Bride of Frankenstein I'm not a nice guy Liam I don't know if you just <laughs> let me just be sinking in just I'm not a nice guy um, if, I, if I asked you to pick a error of John Carpenter, I'll set them out here. So you have, I would say, his seventies body of work. So I would say, like Assault and Precinct Thirteen, uh, the TV Elvis movie starring Kurt Russell, because we have to put it in there. Surprisingly good, actually. Surprisingly good. Um, weirdly good, actually. Like Kurt Russell is a good Elvis. Uh, weird, weird. Um, but he's like, also a good Santa Claus. Yes, he's an amazing fucking Santa Claus. <laughs> Do you know what, like, to me, the, like, the, once again, going on an aside, um, like, I watched that and I was like, this, like, why has he never played, one, why has he never played Santa Claus before? That just, like, confused the fuck out of me. But then I was thinking to myself when I was watching it, I was like, you know what would make me happy is if they got Goldie Hawn, long-time, you know, wife, I think they are married. Uh, yeah. Yeah, long-time wife of, of, I need to get her in here as Mrs. Claus, and then she appeared at the end. I was like, oh my good God almighty. And I was like, that. give me another movie where we get more of them as Mr. and Mrs. Claus. And I'll be, and then they announced that they were looking into it. And I was like, this is why the world is good. Like, see, people can talk about Trump, right? And he is a bad guy and he wants to build walls. People can talk about Brexit. And it's a horrible thing. And I understand where you're coming from, right? I get all that. But Netflix is going to give us a sequel to the Kurt Russell Santa movie with more Goldie Hawn. And I couldn't be happier. You're totally playing with my erection. You're mentioning <laughs> Lindsay Lohan and killing it, just killing it dead. And then you're mentioning Kurt Russell, where I'm fully erect again. <laughs> you need to, you need to stick to a path, Duncan. <laughs> I don't need to stick to any path. I'll go wherever I want. Uh, right. So let's 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 play an uncomfortable game. The uncomfortable game is Errors of John Carpenter. What is your favourite? Um, right. So let's talk about seventies. So we'll lump the whole seventies in. So Dark Star, Assault Precinct Thirteen, Halloween. I'm going to put someone's watching me the TV movie and Elvis the TV movie because they're actually both really good for different reasons. So that's your first one. So that's the 70s era. I'm going to do... uh, Oh, yeah, I'm going to do early 80s. So that is The Fog, Escape from New York. I can already see where this is going. The Thing, Christine and Starman. That's the second era. Then we're going to do late 80s. We're going to see Big Trouble, Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live. Um, I'm then going to do... 90s as a whole, uh, so Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Body Bags, In the Mouth of Madness, Village of the Dam, Escape from LA, Vampires, and then Everything Since, which is Ghosts of Mars, uh, some stuff that he did for the Masters of Horror, and The Ward. If I said to you, what is your favourite era of John Carpenter filmmaking, what would it be and why? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah? it, it would... It would have to be the early 
80s. Yeah, I thought that's for you. It's my favourite era as well, so... It's... I've got a favourite Carpenter film in each of those eras, easy. <laughs> but the, the, how can you rival the fog escape from New York in the thing? It might be the greatest back-to-back role of movies of all time. It's it's insane. How can anyone be that good? <laughs> uh, the, thing, the thing is my favourite horror movie yeah, of all time. Well. And it used to be Halloween. And then it was actually just after the the live thing that we that we did with you guys. Mm-hmm. But I was like, Do you know what? No, it's it's the thing, <laughs> and I changed it. So it's just yeah, that that era. It, 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 there's no words for how good it is. If there was one director directed the thing and did nothing else, that guy's a very good director. But yeah. the fact that this is three excellent movies by the same guy. Yeah, definitely LAs. Yeah. If you take out, if you take, this is how even, this is how worse it actually even is in terms of when you're sitting there going, how the how the fuck does this guy exist on this planet, um, and it's not a glitch in the matrix. If you take those two TV movies out, right, cinematic movies, this guy did Assault in Precinct Thirteen, then Halloween, then The Fog, then Escape from New York, and then The Thing. <laughs> and he does that in the space of what's that? It's for six years. Six years. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Ab- absolutely wild. And then I, I, I'm not too big a fan of Christine or Starman. Yeah. So if you also then leave them out, it's then Big Trouble, in Little China, Prince of Darkness. They live. Yeah. Three <laughs> incredible movies again. Yeah. There's a, there's a clear tipping off point with John Carpenter as well. Where I mean, I I, I kind of feel sorry for him because he does the thing, right, which is amazing, um, but doesn't it's not well received at all. Um, Christine, I mean, he tackles that because he, you know, he, they were in that time period where all the big directors. Are, I think Christine comes at the same year as uh, the Dead Zone, so Cronenberg's doing his his stab at a bit of Carpenter. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a good adaptation. I'm, I'm the same as you. I'm not. I, I'm not like. I don't think it's the be all and end all of Carpenter stuff. Uh, Starman is his attempt to really show a bit of light and a bit of compassion, um, and it, it, it is awarded well, but it doesn't make enough money at all. And then he's like, "Well, I'll do something for me." Big Trouble once again is is marketed horribly, doesn't make money, and then after that, he gives two middle fingers to the movie industry. And then he just goes off, and it's weird. It's like Prince of Darkness is a weird movie. I love it, but it's a weird fucking movie. Yeah. <coughs> they Live was never going to be a big movie. In the Mouse of Madness is maybe one of the most underrated movies in the nineties. I like, and I'm not just saying that because prior to us recording, I said that I have a heavy hard on for Sam Neill, and I really, really do. But Sam Neill and John Carpenter doing the same shit. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, and Village of the Damned. I'm not a fan of really. I don't. I think it's a all right remake. I don't think it's a great remake. Escape from LA is cheesy as fuck. Oh my god, what are we doing, John? I fucking love Escape from LA. So, but see when he is, see when he is surfing <laughs> down the middle of LA uh, and on the the water stained with acid rain. I mean, at that point, I was like, yeah, we have just. He is just having fun. He's just having fun. <laughs> but you've got like. I think even the bits where people lose interest in them are the bits that I still find... Like, I always think Carpenter's 10 years ahead of the curve. I think Vampires wasn't well received when it came out, and I know loads of people that like it now. I have such a soft spot for Ghosts of Mars. <laughs> like, really, really do, and I shouldn't have, because there's a character in that called Desolation Williams, which is the worst name for a character ever. 
Um, and he's played by Ice Cube. <laughs> Come on. He <laughs> goes to Mars, though, in certain ways, it's just kind of a remake of Assault and Precinct. It totally <laughs> is. It's totally is. He's like, nah, I'm just going to remake it in space with aliens. Space ghosts. I, I think that's where Carpenter wears all his influences in his sleeve. It's the total, the same as Assault and Precinct 13. It's the Howard Hawks. It's yeah. the kind of the Western. Assault and Precinct 13 is more an urban uh, Western. Yep. And just the same as Howard Hawks done, where he then remakes Rio Bravo, Carpenter does it, where he then does it as Ghost of Mars. Yeah, I, you're spot on. You're 100%, 100% It's just fun. like, he's just doing it for a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you notice it or not, like, do you know what? Now it's time to remake that. I don't care if anybody likes it. I don't care if I get money for it. Let's just do it. And, <laughs> and let's cast Ice Cube, because that's always a laugh. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> cast Ice Cube, and then let's get, like, Buckethead and Scott Ian from Anthrax and all the rest to do the fucking score with me and write these fucking thrash metal songs <laughs> that I'll shove on my score because fuck it. I, I, what I love about them as well, this is like one of my favourite John Carpenter stories ever, is like when you listen to the score for In the House of, uh, In the Mouse of Madness, you listen to the main theme for that and you're like, it's very Enter Sandman and it really is. If you listen to it, it, is, it has the same build up as Enter Sandman and all the rest. And that's because John Carpenter asked Metallica for the the rights to Enter Sandman and Metallica said no. So he just went off and ripped it off. <laughs> wrote a cover that sounded like... He's like, fuck you. I'll just do my own one then, which sounds blatantly ripped off, but fuck it. Uh, and I think it's just, it's just... I think it speaks a lot to him about oh, that's my vision and I'm not going to compromise my vision if I don't get the song that I want. I'll just write a song that sounds like it. It's. It, I, I don't like the lads culture thing, but John Carpenter is like he's just the dude that you want to hang about with, that you think you could be sitting in the pub and have a brilliant time with. Yeah, and he's he's like he's so far ahead of his game, his industry. Yeah, where you could, John, why don't you do a movie about uh, zombie dogs? And he'd be like, ah, fuck it, this will be a laugh. And he goes and does a movie about zombie dogs. I just, I wish I was his friend, man. He's, um, <laughs> there's a great um, the indicator label in the UK who have been like absolutely killing it with these box sets, the Hammer box sets and the William Castle box sets. Um, when they first announced their line uh, for Picture House, what they were going to do is they were going to put out um, both Ghosts of Mars and Vampires and Christine on Blu-ray and I've got I've got all three of them, they're fucking amazing. But there is a great interview, great interview on the Ghosts of Mars disc, which is taken from John Carpenter, and I think it's like 94, so I think he's turned in the Mouse of Madness. Um it's maybe just before he's made Escape from LA. And they're talking to him about his upcoming I'm sure I've got this right, the time might be slightly off, but I know it's before vampires come out. I, I know for a fact it is because in the interview he says he would never make a vampire movie. He's like that. He's like, I think that story's been told many, many, many times. He's like that. I, I don't think I could bring anything to that at all. And within two years of that interview, releases a movie called Vampires. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't even hide it. It's John Carpenter's Vampires, and I, I fucking love that about him. It's like, he, like, like you see, I get the feeling that he's like that. I, I can add nothing to this. And then he's like, right, we're greenlit to work on a movie project. And he, I mean, that's one that he didn't write. He, he based it on something else. Um, but I, I just love this idea of him, like, just remember when I said that? I lied. You know what I mean? He just, just does it anyway. It's a fucking good... There's, we kind of touched on it as well about, like, I mentioned about, like, 
the fact that he just blatantly <laughs> used Enter Sandman and all the rest in the score. How important, linking it back to our movie, how important is the John Carpenter score for Assault and Precinct 13? Oh, as soon as you hear that, you you can't hear it without pitching the scene of the gang in the car yeah. with the gun going out the window. And it's, it, it, as soon as that dun 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 dun, dun, dun <laughs> comes yeah. in, you just picture it, you think, I'm, I have to go and watch Assault and Precinct 13. <laughs> but you can't hear it and then not watch it. <laughs> um, some of the scenes in the movie like that that you would like herald out as, as the best, do you have any? Is there any, out with the kid death, which let's be honest, everyone loves, um, even though they're like, oh, it's so balls, and we're all like, yes, kill the kid. Um, <laughs> that's what we're like, because we're horrible people, I've said it before. Podcasters are not nice people. I'm dropping the curtains here to let everyone know we're not nice people at all. We are insecure, narcissistic pricks, um, and yeah, we we get off in the suffering of others, including podcasters. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, is, is there maybe one or two scenes in Assault and Precinct Thirteen that stand out to you know this is this is why I love this movie? Or you mentioned not that I want to pick holes in the movie, but for balance, you said that if you Looked at if you watch this movie too much, there's a couple of things that you know are there, but you don't want to go down um, as negatives. You could raise out for us. The the scenes that affect my life. Every time someone says to me, "Do you want your coffee black?" In my head, I say, "Oh, uh, when they say black, I say yeah." For over thirty years, in my head, I can't say that because I'm not thirty and I'm not black. <laughs> but I can't know if somebody says to me black, I instantly think of this film. I think of that scene. Yeah. And it's such a tiny scene in the movie, but <laughs> it just has such an impact on my life. Uh, the with plot holes at the end when they're in the corridor and he's got to shoot the flares, the gang's coming at them and they two are holding the sign to ward them off. In reality, two guys aren't holding off twelve gangbangers with guns and knives with yeah. a big sign. If it was a movie that I didn't enjoy that would take me out of it I'd be like well that's nonsense because unless those guys have like fucking freak strength they're not doing that so that's where I think if the suspense and the some of the characters and even some of the comedy was taken out it falls down with plot holes like that mm-hmm. but it's when you then look at the whole picture those bits are uh, they're throwaway who cares who cares if they can't actually hold those guys back because what's happening is so enjoyable yeah I think um yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think what's really interesting about it as well, um, in terms of the way the scenes are set out, like to to be like positive towards it because it's very difficult to be negative. And you mentioned it before is that idea of um, the kind of idea that the, the kind of <laughs> the Alamo, so to speak, the siege movie of you know his influences of the western movies that he, he grew up watching and stuff. But specifically when you look at it, how directly he is, he's taken from these really powerful moments in cinema, like something like Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and he's, you know, and he's not doing it in a way where it's like, I'm being clever about this. He's like, no, this is a fucking great idea and I'm going to use it in my film. Um, and you get that throughout this movie. You get a ton, a ton of John Carpenter influences. And it's weird to see that because now we look at him as being such an influential 
director. They were like, you know, that scores Carpenter-esque, or the way this movie's set up is totally John Carpenter, or, you know, this guy wants to be a modern-day John Carpenter, that we sometimes forget that when he was starting off as well, he was so in love with the movies he grew up watching that he is just... This, on on some levels, is a very nasty but loving letter towards the genres that he he really liked. His touches on horror, his touches on uh, spaghetti westerns, uh, you know, working like Sergio Leone and stuff. It's all in here, and I think that's kind of fucking amazing. Um, I'm like you as well, though. There are bits in here where I'm like, had he had a bit more money, or had he had a bit more time to do it, I think some of the some specifically at the end when when things are on the rails but the rails are maybe not as steady as they could be um given a bit more time or a steadier head that comes with years of filmmaking those wouldn't happen they wouldn't exist yeah. and I, I i think out with it i think you take everything into account the small budget that you had to work with um the relative cast of unknowns, I mean, there are a couple of genre mainstays in here for sure and some names that are worth mentioning, but for the most part, it's, it's relative unknowns he's working with. Um, the fact he he takes control of all the aspects of the movie, not only the writing, the directing, but the score as well, is a thing that he takes on very quickly in his, his directing to allow him to have that John Carpenter name above things. He's very much about that. He wants you to know that he's responsible for this. He ain't going to be blaming this person or that person. Um, you know, This is the way he's going to do things. And when you add all that in, it, it, to me, it is remarkable that Assault on Precinct 13 is as impactful in 2019 in the world that we live in now where we turn on the TV and the craziest of crazy shit is happening, the fact that Assault and Precinct 13 still is as relevant or still impactful as it is, I think, is uh, is a true testament to how fucking amazing the movie is. And like you said, I would totally agree with you. You give me a list and tell me to order these movies out of John Carpenter. Assault and Precinct 13 is not in my top five. Might even be on the lower part of my top ten Carpenters of all time. But if you ask me to grade that, I give it the highest possible grade I can give it because every time I watch it, I love it just a little bit more than I did the previous time. I think it's fucking yeah. awesome. Oh. I, I oh. think I think what else, this was the 70s and the, the way Carpenter does all these movies where there's no there's no bigotry, there's no kind of racism in it. The gang is, there. there's an Asian guy, there's a black guy, there's a white guy. Everything in his films just work. You can't look at a Carpenter film 20 years from now, 30 years and go, ah, that's a bit wrong. Yeah. Like, it's okay for the 70s, but it doesn't hold up now. Everything he put out in the 70s and 80s and stuff, it still holds up now. It's still, it's not offensive. Yeah, it's, there's a weird disconnect from time in these movies. That's I think that's what makes them instantly revisible um, over and over again. Even when you think about something which is painfully 80s, like They Live, Right when I when I look at the mm. live, I I don't see fashions which make it feel like an eighties movie. If you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's weirdly grounded in an almost timelessness about it. And I when I think about that and expand it out, I think almost all these movies are like that. Maybe set for something like Christine, uh, which is deliberately set in a specific time period and has to look that way. When you look at things like the, the thing could be almost set anytime out with the ropey computers that they have <laughs> it could be it could be set anytime that's a story that almost feels timeless uh, Big Trouble in Little China yes it definitely has that 80s feel but the fashion isn't so painfully 80s because of the overtop nature of it 
that it doesn't, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a weirdness and timelessness quality to what he does that I think makes his movies just instantly revisitable over and over again. I think that's fucking great. Like the, the Carpenter universe transcends time. Mm-hmm. So Big Trouble in Little China happens in the Carpenter universe. Who So does the thing. Maybe maybe in the Carpenter universe, the, the computers are old. The computers are 80s. Yeah. But the 90s films can take place in that same time. It is just, yeah, it's... What a guy. What a guy, John Carpenter. <laughs> I think the big bombshell we've landed on in this episode, <laughs> shaking the pillars <laughs> to the ground here, is that John Carpenter is a fucking great director. Who would have known it? Who would have known it? Not me. Not this guy. This guy was walking in sceptical AF, uh, but he's landing on it. Um, the last thing I need to ask you, this feels academic because we've already said it twice, um, and kind of ruined the suspense and the su- surprise. This was directed by John Carpenter. He would have held this grade as a mystery right to the very end but we're not him <laughs> uh, like we've said many times um, we do Netflix grades you know that Liam it's one is hated it two didn't like it three liked it four really liked it five loved it point fives are allowed what would you give John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13 I hope you put a big drum roll here because <laughs> 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 the suspense that I've built for this uh, all the time till the cows come home this is a five this is a, a brilliant film is is yeah five for me as well. I, I fucking if this is not if this is not the cinematic equivalent of walking into a room full of filmmakers who are genre mainstays that are doing stuff in this time period and killing it, walking into that room when they're all sat around this big conference round table and unzipping your fly, whipping your huge dick and slapping it on the table and screaming at them, look at it, look at it. Um, I don't know what is I don't know what is <laughs> that image will now stay with me later on when I go for a shower um, cannot wait cannot wait that's right you'll be there as well Liam uh, that's, what I, that's what I was implying <laughs> <laughs> right uh, like I said at the start of this episode you've got a fucking amazing show everyone needs to check out Scott and Liam versus Evil trust me right now if you are like I, I only have room for one Scottish horror podcast in my life you're a liar to yourself and your family. Feel ashamed of yourself and switch off the podcast right now. You have room for two. And to be honest, you will laugh more at his one than you will at mine. So go and check out Scott and Liam versus Evil. Where can people check out that show, sir? First of all, I don't agree with that. You guys are definitely the best, but thank you. <laughs> you can find us at scottandliamversusevil.com. Everything's up there. Uh, on SoundCloud, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Mm. Sorry, Apple. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, come over and definitely check us out. We share a lot of the same, we share the same tone, the same vibe as Podcast Under the Stairs, except with Podcast Under the Stairs, you're getting so much knowledge that you come away as a better person. With Scott and Liam, you come away as a worse person because you hear things and find out things that you really shouldn't be listening to. I think <laughs> the sort of things that you need exposed to in this day and age. I think that's what I think I get from your show is that there's, there's all these sexual terms, uh, which are not nice, that I kind of feel that I need to know just in case my kid grows up and starts mentioning terms that I don't know. I don't want to have to Google that shit. Scott and Liam connects me with the youth of today. That's what I like to think. Are you, are you referencing that last episode? Yes, I am. 
Yeah, that was disgusting. It was one of the. It was yeah. I, I, I was somewhere between completely repulsed and could not stop laughing in my desk at work uh, to the point where it got uncomfortable. I had to actually walk out the room because I was laughing so much. Uh, I think it was more the elbow drop more than anything. I think that's kind of what really set me off. And you'd already prepared me for that through the message uh, of what was coming up. I, I think that was a bit where I was just like, "This has been. This is already gross, but this is now being taken to a completely new level, a level I did not know existed, and I'm now better for it." So. And that's got nothing to do with me and Scott. That is an actual. That's an activity. Yeah. Oh, I'd like. Yeah, I, I believe <laughs> it. But the it's an activity that I imagine probably exists under the radar, and you put a, you shone a shiny spotlight on it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> the, the guys in the group are going to be so happy that I shone a light on uh, the thing they've been doing for years. <laughs> <laughs> it's like our secrets out, lads. Our secrets out. <laughs> Need to find something else that's a bit more taboo. It's not even just taboo. It's just fucking wrong. Um. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, go and check out Scott and Liam versus Evil. Uh, Liam will be back, I dare say. Uh, Scott will be back at some point. Maybe the two of them will be back. And we are going to have a conversation over the next couple of weeks about what we're going to do to do something live. I am desperate to do something live with you guys. Even if it's like as just a something to placate the masses. It's just a live stream of us doing some uh, horror board games or something with some booze. I want to make that happen so bad. The Baz has even said he will come back to do a live stream of horror board game playing. So, I mean, if that's not the best reason to do it, I don't know. But I'm really actively starting to formulate ideas of a live event which features podcasts under the stairs and Scotland Liam versus Evil and everything that's happening in my head is just sexy I'm just saying you know me man I'm easy like a Sunday morning <laughs> I am I'm in for anything nice and on that on that note which is Liam is easy uh, I think that might be the name of this podcast uh, we're going to drop the John Carpenter January uh, I'm going to take a very short break I'm going to um, let you listen to a little bit of promos for shows that I love. We're going to pick a random John Carpenter score. It's not random. It will be the theme song from In the Mouths of Madness. Because uh, it just sounds like Inner Sandman. Uh, and then you're going to hear the trailer for Big Trouble in Little China. When I come back with a very excited Andy Blockley, you guys have no fucking idea how much this man has, has bugged me for four years about this. And uh, we'll probably touch into the almost travesty that happened where it looked like he wasn't going to be able to do the review and I was going to do it without him. And I was just going to talk about how much I hate the movie just to piss him off. He's going to be back after that anyway. We're going to be discussing Big Trouble, Little China, second and final movie review of John Carpenter January. All that and more coming right up right after this. Are you terrified by real life? Us too. You like horror movies? Us too. Then join Maddie and Andrew, your co-hosts, for a new podcast that explores horror in real life and horror in the movies, and all with a fresh and fabulous gay perspective. We are a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Facebook, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. We're Friday the 13th.
This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here, and a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. Ow! They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He made one move. And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. How are you going to spring us? I have no idea. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. <clears throat> My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. Ah! Oh, God, is this really happening? This is gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. One, two, three. We may be trapped. Total concentration. Safety. Oh, yeah. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Way to go, Jack. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. On the reflexes. And welcome back, ladies and gents. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. It felt good to talk about Assault and Precinct 13. Will it feel better to talk about Big Trouble in Little China? We will find out. Um, now, to say that this has been years in the making would be an understatement. The conversation that I had with this guest who's joining me on this episode for this movie, I think, stems back about four and a half years when he asked me, just blatantly and up front, would I ever do a review on Big Trouble in Little China? My response to him was no, because uh, it's not a horror movie, and um, Podcast Under the Stairs really is a horror podcast. And at times, I can make exceptions. I can stretch the rules slightly. I can make it look like, well, actually, if you pivot it this way, you pivot it that way, it's definitely a horror movie, or has these, you know, underlying severe horror tones. Um... But Big Trouble in Little China is just not a movie I can do that with. It is maybe one of the single most important movies from my childhood. I would put on paper I've probably seen Big Trouble in Little China more times than most movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It's definitely in my top three watches of all time in terms of amount, sheer volume. Um, so, surprise, surprise, four and a half years later I have devised a way to <laughs> to cheat and bring it into the show which means I have to have to bring this guest on with me joining me at this time uh, is my uh, my comrade on Andy Loves Art House 
and um, the soon to return, although we really need to get our fingers out and start planning and get our heads together, doing the nasty podcast. It's a fantastic Andy Blockley. How you doing, sir? Oh, yeah, good, man. I'm so excited to have done this. Like, if you hadn't have asked me to do this, I'd have never spoke to you again. So <laughs> I just I kind of thought <laughs> what would happen if it just dropped, like dropped it nowhere, what that message would look like. What the fuck, man? <laughs> why, why am I not on this? <laughs> yep. You bastard. So, no, I mean, for me, this is, um, yeah, this is a film that's so fucking close to my heart. Like, I've watched this probably three times more than any other film I've watched. <laughs> like, my whole fucking, my, my entire right thigh is emblazoned with a tattoo of this movie. Like, I fucking got the comics, I listened to the soundtrack. Like, I, if you play me a clip of the soundtrack, right, hour 40 minutes, I'll tell you where you are in the film instantly. Like, mm-hmm. that's how fucking... I'm a bit obsessed with it, actually. So, pretty excited to talk about it today. There's worse things to be obsessed with, I think. Uh, big yeah. trouble, I'll tell you that. I remember the, I remember the first time I saw this, um, we were... I was staying with my dad for the weekend and we had like a sleepover like with um, my kind of step family's family. <laughs> so they had cousins and all the rest around and we all got to, as would every time I stayed at my dad's, you would get to go to the video store, pick up a couple of movies to bring back and watch. And the front cover was so insane for Big Trouble in Little China. So out there, so colourful, just what is going on? Kurt Russell right on the front, Kim Cattrall kind of hugging him at the back. And I was like, I, I, I kind of want this one. Yeah. And we got it. And I must have watched it about three times that weekend. Like, easily. Like, back to back. Just thought it was, you know, I just, I would have been, oh, what age? Uh, maybe about seven, maybe eight, if that. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, it was because it just came out. And. I mean, this is a movie that found its audience through the rental market. I mean, uh, the the if you anyone's ever checked any of the special features in any of the releases, you'll know how soured John Carpenter was in the the kind of post making of this movie. Just with they the way pulled that, they pulled the um, the marketing funding, yeah. didn't they? Well, they yeah, just they, went right. Fuck it, we're not marketing this. It's shit. Yeah, but they couldn't. It wasn't. It wasn't even that they couldn't understand. They couldn't understand the movie, so they had to, he had to add things at the beginning, yeah. um, and, and whatnot, purely because the original design of the movie did not have Jack Burton as the hero. He was never the hero. He was never supposed to be the hero in this movie. No. It was always supposed to be Wine that was supposed to be the hero, um, yeah. and Jack Burton was the. And you can see it when you look at the movie. Like everything Jack Burton does is wrong in this movie. <laughs> Literally, you like. Out with the knife sequence at the end, is that a, is the Indiana Jones conundrum? You know what I mean? That out with the knife sequence at the end, everything would probably have unfolded exactly the same way it would have if Jack Burton hadn't come to town. Yeah, which I kind of I, I kind of love that, and like it's it's the whole point. But the the studio was like, no, we can't have this Asian guy as the front for our massive blockbuster <laughs> Hollywood movie. That's not right. Uh, Which what, is weird because Bruce Lee was huge by that point, by I know, don't get 13 it. years. I don't I, yeah, understand I don't, like Enter the Dragon was a massive movie. Yeah, I understand Kurt Russell was huge at that point, but Kurt Russell was in on the joke. Well, that's the great thing about it. Like, It's just two guys that get together, understand each other's like sense of humour absolutely fucking perfectly. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people wouldn't have agreed to play the goofy 
the, the idiot, he's an idiot. Like, oh, it, Burton, it, isn't it, it, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> you know, the film opens up with him on his fucking CB radio. Who the fuck is this guy? Like, if this was made today, he's a podcaster, isn't he, Jack Burton? Oh, he's God, just yes. Fucking, <laughs> he's doing a solo podcast. <laughs> like, so. <laughs> Yeah, he's you know, and obviously he's played McCready at this point. So people are thinking, Oh, this this guy is one badass motherfucker. Well that's the genius of the cast and, and he's already played it on him. He's played Snake Pliskin as well. He's, you yeah. know what I mean? They, they 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 flip it on him and that's the genius. He's like see if if you get a chance, I know you probably have, but once again people out there, if you have a version of this in H D you know, like a Blu ray or a DVD, there should be a John Carpenter commentary on it with Kurt Russell, and it is maybe my favourite commentary of all time, because it's just two friends, clearly friends, just sitting yeah, down. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't talk that much about the film, do they, no, to be honest? No, no. Like... Occasionally they remember an actor, or, yeah. or and they'll go to what happened to that actor after making the movie, not what happened during the movie, but they do touch on a bit of that, a bit of the issues that they had, kind of post the, this movie coming out, and like the advertising campaign was I can't remember exactly the words but it was something like who is Jack Burton and they were like yeah who is Jack Burton <laughs> so yeah, like, no one knows what the fuck that's you know, and so they completely mismarketed then like you say pulled it at the, the market at the last minute and then pulled him into screens the movie did and it was a commercial flop I mean it, 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 it fell hard um, and then what you get is like with a lot of a lot of great movies will find like life finds a way, as <laughs> uh, Jeff Goldblum would say. Um, yeah, right. And you know it, it goes out on VHS, and then it gets this rabid cult following. And it, it has, I think, with, with a, pretty much every John Carpenter movie, um, over time people have realised the genius. They might not have got it first time around, but it finds its audience, and it, you know once it finds its audience, people are. You know, we'll go to to bat for it, like like I do with this movie. I mean, it's it's a movie that I bond with. I took my brother-in-law to see this a few years ago. They were playing it at the GFT in Glasgow. It's big independent cinema, Uh, and they were doing like a midnight screening of it. I was like, oh, no, wicked. John's ten years younger than me, so he never grew up with it. I'd never seen it before, (laughs) and I took him to see it. I was like, that this can go one of two ways, right? Yeah, he's either going to love this movie, or he is going to hate this movie. And we sat down and finished, and I turned around and looked at him, and I was like, right, be honest. Be honest, first time watching, what did you think? And he was like, that was fucking brilliant. And I was like, yes! Yeah. Yes, because I went to um, like an outdoor screening in Nottingham, mm-hmm. where um, it was just like, it's really this really small company, they were just like trying to like put these outdoor things on. Um, I don't think they've really done a great deal else since, because I think it's, they probably don't make a lot of money from it. This was just like a little outside of a pub, little courtyard thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, me and Rach went. I was like, we were one of the first ones there, so we got on the front row. <laughs> and this guy like sat next to us. And um, he was literally just there because it was his mate that was running it. So he just went to like support his mate. And he'd never seen it. And oh, he went... And he was like, oh, are you, are you big fans of this movie then? And I went, yeah. I said, I think I've seen it like over a hundred times. <laughs> and he went, and he went, fucking hell, really? And, and I went, yeah. And he went, well, to be fair, like if it was my favourite song, I've listened to my favourite song over a hundred times. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, of course, it just doesn't take an hour 40, does it, to listen to your favourite song? <laughs> anyway, like we, um, we watched it and stuff and like, and at the end, he fucking come up and like shook my hand. He went, "That was fucking incredible," <laughs> like, and he was being completely genuine. Like he obviously had never seen it before, and he was like, "Fuck that! That was amazing." And I was like, "I know." It's like, 
it's this fucking special kind of movie. And you know, like with some films, like I wish I could go and watch them again for the first time. Yeah, like yeah. Hereditary, I'd love to get like to be able to see for the first time. Uh, is a recent one that I can think of, like Fight Club, something like that, or Seven, you know, mm-hmm. just to get that incredible ending. Like for me, you don't like you might love Big Trouble in Little China after its first watch. You might like think it's amazing after its first watch, but there's no fucking way that you can fully appreciate that film after one watch because there's so yeah. much stuff in there. Like literally for me, it's a bit like um, Spinal Tap. Like you need to watch it like five, fucking six, seven, eight, ten plus times. And every and you'll see new stuff like 100 like you can watch it the 15th time and go fucking hell like i didn't realize like he looked at him like that or he said that and like for me yeah you've got to watch this like multiple multiple times to fully appreciate just the fucking creative genius like the script is fucking amazing do you want to place a, like a, a bit of jack burton dialogue now do you want oh, to yeah. insert that clip uh, yeah it's what it's worth saying we went old school on this andy blockley got in touch with me and was like listen dude i wanted i love this movie that much that you resurrected old school doing the nasty like rules where you're, you have supplied me with clips from this movie to play on this show so yeah we're going to yeah. jump out just now you're going to hear a little bit of jack burton dialogue you're out of your mind wing god bless you <laughs> It's all in the reflexes. It always works at home. Yeah, well, have me over for dinner some year and prove it. In the meantime, pay up 1,148 bucks times two. Yeah, I don't have that kind of money, Jack. I didn't hear that, Wang. Hey, I'm just a poor old Chinese boy, you know? Yeah, you own a restaurant. That's a hell of a lot more than me. What does that mean? Huh? China is here? I don't even know what the hell that means. All I know is this low pan character comes out of thin air in the middle of a goddamn alley while his buddies are flying around on wires cutting everybody to shreds and he just stands there waiting for me to drive my truck straight through him with light coming out of his mouth. Yeah. When okay. did this Today, happen? Okay, it didn't, ahead. Uncle Chu. Not like he says. Yeah, it did, Uncle Chu. Two hours ago. Tall guy, weird clothes. First you see him, then you don't. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable reasonable things. Depends on how you look at the it. The hell it does. So somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. The truth? I can take it. Oh, boy. Look, we came here to see David Lopan, all right? Ah? David Lopan? And you have succeeded, Mr. Burton. What, you? Well, I don't get this at all. I thought Lopan... Shut was... up, Mr. Burton. You are not brought upon this world to get it. Come on, Lopan is like... Nothing uh... you can understand. Can't be many Chinese girls running around with green eyes these days. Yeah, I'm not, never were. So beggars can't be choosers. But I can. You got a tongue, Dave. Ask her yourself. If you have an influence over your youthful friend, you better exert it now. Otherwise, I will have both of you roll off to the hell where people are skinned alive. It's that simple, understand? And all I need is a woman, Mr. Burton. A special kind of woman with dragon green eyes to make me whole again young again, that I may rule the universe from beyond this grave. Qingdai, the god of the east. Who, him? This guy? No, not me, Mr. Burton. Qingdai would be happy and my curse would be lifted. You can go off and rule the universe from beyond the grave. Indeed! Or check into a psycho war, whichever comes first, huh? Jack, will you- Jack, what? I'm supposed to buy this shit? 2,000 years and he can't find one broad to fit the bill? Come on, Dave, you must be doing something seriously wrong. 
two, three feet thick, I'll bet. Probably welded shut from the outside and covered with brick by now. Don't give up, Jack. Oh, okay, I won't, Wang. Let's just chew our way out of here. Lopan has plans for us. If he didn't, we'd be dead doornails. Lopan? Which Lopan? Little old basket case on wheels with a ten-foot-tall roadblock. One of the same person, Jack. So, yeah, so it's directed by John Carpenter. Um, it stars <laughs> uh, Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, Dennis Dunn, James Hong, Victor Wong, Kate Burton, uh, Donald Lee, Carter Wong, Peter Kwong, uh, James Pax, Susie Pai, uh, Chow Lee Chi, uh, Jeff Amadia, uh, Rummel Moore and Craig Ng. Um, the synopsis, <laughs> which short and sweet and kind of doesn't do justice, but does do justice at the same time. As a rough-and-tumble trucker helps rescue his friend's fiancée from an ancient sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. <laughs> Short and it's right to the point. Doesn't do justice, but it's, it's spot on. Uh, so yeah, we played a clip of d- dialogue. I mean, the dialogue in this movie is so fucking witty and so well-written. And, and Jack Burton, as a character... And like he nails it. Like I, every line that comes out of his mouth, I believe a hundred percent. Even though I know he's bullshitting. Yeah, it's amazing. Like it's basically he thinks he thinks he's John Wayne. Yeah. Like that's who that's who Jack Burton thinks he is. He thinks he's John Wayne. He talks with the same cadence John Wayne does. Like the sarcasm. I mean, obviously we've just heard the clips of dialogue there. He's so fucking sarcastic, and he just doesn't like. He just doesn't know what the fuck is going on, which. You know, of course he doesn't like. It. He's just been dropped into this fucking crazy world where he's just seen these like three storms appear out of the fucking sky. Mm-hmm. He's just ran a guy over, only for him to get up on the other side of his van and like spit light into his face and blind him. Like he doesn't know what the fuck is going on, and it's amazing. Like I love that that, that clip where he's like, um, he, he tells him about Lopan appeared on the street and Uncle Chu. He's like, no, it didn't Uncle Chu. And he's like, yeah, it did Uncle Chu. Like about two hours ago. <laughs> A yeah. big guy, first you see, you know, big guy, weird clothes, first you see him, then you don't. It's like, it's fucking, it's so good. Like, and, and like, it just makes me realise Kurt Russell's sense of humour must be fucking incredible. Oh, yeah. He's like, like, his he, comic timing, because you know, he's not, you don't see Kurt Russell as a comic actor, really. He, he did a few kind of action and comedy sort of things. I, like, I always think of, I mean, I really like, it's a, a guilty pleasure, but I really like Overboard. Yeah, I yeah, love that movie. I really, really yeah. do. And in part, the reason I love that movie is Kurt Russell. The other reason I love that movie is Goldie Hawn. Um, and they're the perfect couple. You know what I mean? There's a reason that that, that, that relationship has endured as long as it has. Yeah. Uh, even even made me happy when... And me and Liam have just spoke about this in the previous episode, funnily enough. Um, when we're talking about last year, Netflix obviously put out their Christmas movie. And it had Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. And he is maybe the best cast Santa Claus I've ever seen in my entire life. But the fact that at the the very end of the movie, and this is a spoiler, however, it is a Christmas movie, uh, so I don't feel as guilty. Uh, At the very end, he sits down and you meet Mrs. Claus and it's Goldie Hawn. Oh, yeah, yeah. And And we said, like, when when it was like Mrs. Claus sort of of appears from behind, Rachel went, that's got to be Goldie Hawn, hasn't it? It's got to be. And it's like, it is, yeah. I, I love that. And the fact that, you know, it did really, really well, and Netflix are actively pursuing a sequel. I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm so over the moon with that. Kurt Russell is maybe one of the most underappreciated, versatile actors of our time. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you've watched them, um, like if anyone out listening has seen Breakdown, yeah, oh, Breakdown's so good. 
like his acting in breakdown as a man who's basically his wife's been fucking kidnapped and he and he's so helpless like the the the, the emotion on his face mm-hmm. like it, it fucking disturbs me how well he portrays that you know you can put yourself in that position of someone who's like where the fuck do you start when your wife has just literally disappeared off the planet yeah like and his performance in that is fucking terrifying like it's it's incredible and there's and you know and things like that is so different to something like this what we're talking about now between china and that again is so different to something like the thing and overboard and and then he's doing Tarantino stuff, and he's in Bone Tomahawk. It's like fucking hell. This guy, like, can he can do, he can play anything? He can literally play comic. You know, for someone to be able to do sheer horror and fucking then absolute hilarious comedy, yeah. Like fucking hell, he's he's brilliant. I think he's probably my favorite American actor. Kurt he's he's definitely up there for me. He has to be because, like I say, even even if he appears in a movie that I don't like. Like a movie I don't like, he always gives a hundred percent to the role, um, yeah. which I think is kind of incredible, incredible about him. And his relationship with John Carpenter, you know, starts off in earnest with him doing the Elvis TV movie of all things. Which I've never seen. I've never seen that. It's I need to try and track it down. Surprisingly good. <laughs> surprisingly yeah. good. Um, even though you know what, that's the that's literally the only John Carpenter film I haven't seen and that I don't own. I literally have seen and own everything, and, and I've not seen that. And I don't really know where to find it. I, it's, I, I think it is it. like I I got a, a copy. <laughs> Um, okay. From less than legal means when I was doing the round table years ago. Um, right. So it's not it's not particularly. Easy. I'll eventually find a way to come out, but because it's a TV movie, you're at the mercy of whichever TV station financed it. Okay. Uh, yep. As to when it comes out, and then there might be even licensing rights to do with the music, etc. So, uh, you know, I might never find that. You know, I might never find an HD release or anything like that but certainly will be in a position that it is out there if you go looking for it but yeah okay. even even then I mean like their relationship starts there and whilst they're doing that you know John Carpenter's already floating the idea for Escape from New York he's already starting to fathom things in his mind to do with the thing and yeah. all these things are working off the back of Carpenter very much like the the best directors collects people as he goes along in his career, um, whether it's like people like Donald Pleasance, for example, or Dean Cundey uh, doing the cinematography, who does the cinematography on Big Trouble in Little China. I think yep. I've said that. I'm sure that's right. Yeah, he now. does. Yeah, no, I think it's does, the last yeah. one he does with him. I think Dean Cundey's last movie with Carpenter was this one. Um, okay. I don't think he did Prince of Darkness, but. Yeah, he, he carries these people along with them, and as a result of that, I think that on some level is why Carpenter's movies are so consistently good, even if I don't love everything that the guys put out. I think yeah. there's a consistency there because it becomes this well-doiled unit, you know, this kind of family. Every, everything's watchable, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah, even, everything is, even know. the stuff I don't like um, yeah. is, is all watchable. I think... What's interesting, uh, kind of pivoting to the movie, I think what's really interesting about it is that even at this standard, even at 86, the martial arts in this movie isn't great. <laughs> it's really not. It's kind of fantasy martial arts without the strings, if you know what I mean. If you look at if you look at some other martial arts movies from a similar time period, um, it's a bit more believable, but I think what they have in this movie works really well in the realms of... It's not just like these martial artists will draw a gun or a knife if they have to. Um, yeah, 
I mean, I think I think the the, the street fight, like the Chinese standoff, I yeah. think it's got some fucking incredible because like, no, there's no style to it. Like, yeah. normally, if if you're watching some kind of kung fu, you know, it's there isn't you know tiger style or crane and like there's something in there. This is just fucking like drag up fucking street fighting. Yeah, yeah. This can it's like almost like a bastardized version of martial arts because they're in a different part of the world. Which you is what I, mean? I kind of love, though, because you know there's a reason. Like, is you know, if you've got a black belt karate guy or black belt kung fu, they're gonna kick the ass of someone that isn't really into martial arts. But there's a reason in the UFC that there is no fucking style to that because a street fight, there is no fucking rules. Yeah. You know what I mean? And for me, like, it makes perfect sense that if these guys are literally fighting to the death, that then they're just fucking brawling, and it is a brawl. And some of the shit in that fight at the beginning. Like you've got a guy getting his fucking arm snapped. He's running a fucking, he's running a guy headfirst into a wall. Fucking mm-hmm. throwing someone through a window, like slashing him open, like in a figure of eight with the fucking knife. It's oh, I love it's that. Just, it's, it's fucking it's it's brutal. But then also obviously mixed is the you know the the crouching tiger kind of wire work kind of shit as well. Yeah, can it, which, it lands that perfectly? I think. Yeah, for the time. absolutely. For and the it's time. great because. Yeah, and also like because you know Jack Burton is literally saying there's people running over like flying around on wires. Yeah, like, he just <laughs> fucking thinks it is people on wires, and it's almost like that line needs to be in there to kind of go, look, we know this is insane, but this is the fucking world we're in. We're in a world of you know of mysticism. We're not in you know we're not in grounded in reality in this movie. And you get that you know 15 minutes in that you know kind of where you stand with that. Yeah, totally. I think as well, what this movie benefits from is its villains. And I say villains because in any any movie, you're lucky if you have one iconic villain. And definitely Lopan is that iconic villain. He's yeah. like... Uh, the, the dialogue is you know, <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. The, the fact that he portrays, you know, the, the prosthetic makeup at the time is insane on this movie. Uh, for the, right, the I was saying this plan. to Rach because we um, we literally watched it last night, and, and um, I said, "Look, this is like fucking thirty six years ago. This movie, mm-hmm. look how good the makeup and the prosthetics is on this guy." And then you fast forward like 32, 30, I don't know, thirty four years to Star Wars, the late like the Last Jedi. Snoke looked shit, right? <laughs> What the fuck is that? Is, is Andy Serkis made some kind of deal with the devil where he has to do fucking motion capture? Why couldn't you have just had... Because he's not in the film for long, right? It's not like Snoke would have had to sit in makeup for 15, 20, you know, 20, 30 times. He's not on screen a lot. Just yeah. put the guy in makeup and make it decent. You know, Snoke is this incredibly imposing figure from that first movie. You know, this huge towering, like, inferno of a fucking thing. And then when you get to see him, like obviously I know it's um, a hologram, so he's not going to be a hundred foot tall. I know that, but when I see Snoke, it wants to be like fucking hell. Look, who's this guy that's pulling all the strings? And it's this awful fucking like CGI piece of shit. <laughs> and it just fucking annoys me because I think like it's just fucking lazy filmmaking. I don't understand why you know when in a, in a in a franchise where they're reintroducing huge sets, you know, like the the, the prequels are all CG bullshit. Mm-hmm. like these new Star Wars films they're building the fucking Millennium Falcon it's a real thing that you can touch so why did they like cut the cut corners on Snoke I don't get it um, yeah like the, 
every, like the, I mean, the costumes in this, the prosthetics, the creature effects are fucking incredible. You've like got the upside down sinners, like the wild man, like mm-hmm. the fucking the guardian thing with its eyeballs. Yeah. Apparently that costs like a hundred thousand dollars just just for that, and it's only on screen for about two minutes. <laughs> um, you've got the sewer creature that comes out of the sewers when. Oh they're yeah. Like, <laughs> um, what are the, I mean that that like. You know, the creativity in this film is amazing. Like, what the fuck is the Bog of Dead Trees? Like, that's where apparently Egg Shen has brought them through the Bog of Dead Trees, which is like the Mm. underground sewer, which has got fucking, like, the black blood of the earth, like, bubbling under it. And then you've got this creature that comes out the wall. It must have taken them months to make that. It's on screen for, like, three seconds. Do you know what I mean? Like, that just shows me the fucking, the the time and love and effort involved in, in a creature that's on screen for three seconds. And then there's films nowadays where they just fucking cut corners on something, you know, that's a massive contributing thing that should be this massive like event, like, God, look at this guy. And it just, it shows me that it's just a bygone era, isn't it? Like, just films like this don't get made anymore. You know, no, people fan- they, fantasy movies, are like, especially in the 80s, were, were grandiose. I think it's something even like... Um, pivot away from this more into kind of what we would know as proper fantasy and you look at a movie like Willow yeah and and the amount of money that must have been spent on you know creature effects practical effects and all the rest it was just a different time period um, yeah uh, I, Labyrinth as well man oh, like Hoggle yeah, I, I think what you have is I think what's different now and I'm not justifying anything that Star Wars did at all but I think what you have now is back in the 80s you had an abundance of people that could do that I think I think nowadays if you're a big studio, your options are a bit more limited, and it becomes a risk that yeah. you know. Especially, t- I think it's also unfortunately the world we live in now. Movies have such tight timescales to get made that they just don't have yeah. time to develop any of that shit, and that's a shame. I mean, to me, a yeah, movie I mean, it's, should... it's, it's completely the studios that are to blame. You know, yeah. it's just it's, it's capitalism and it's yeah. greed. A movie know, should take as long money. as it takes to make. You know what I mean? You yep. should. This is why I get sceptical when they're like that. You know, Marvel have announced the next five years of cinematic action superhero movies, and here are all the release dates. And like, yeah, have so, any of them started getting made yet? What were the fuck yeah. are we doing here? So no one's sitting down and going, right, guys, I've got this incredible idea. I've been yeah. thinking about it for years. I've been writing notes. This is my whole fucking life I put into this. Here's my idea. No, you don't get that anymore. All you get is, right, um, excuse me, everyone, we need um, we need a sequel doing. Um, it's due out in nine months, and it's an Iron Man film. Go. And it's like, well, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's weird, though, because when you think about, like, pivoting back to the horror genre and pivot it to a franchise horror in general... Things like Nightmare on Elm Street, um, Friday the 13th, for a while, some of those Halloween movies, those were made year on year. Yeah. And they had practical, obviously not on the same level, but Tom Savini was in there clearly working from one movie right into the next movie, um, mm. doing the effects. So they can be done. I think it's just you have to have the the confidence to do that. And I just don't think studios have that anymore. I don't think they have the no. confidence in practical effects. And I think that's why when we do see them on screen now, they, they stand out so much, for, for good or for bad. Um, that's not to say that practical effects, if you put them in your movie, that will make a good movie. It's just, it's a technique, it's a, it's a string in your bow which makes your movie just that little bit better. And they yeah. are on fucking point in this movie. Like I was talking about the villains... And like you have not only one I- iconic sort of main villain, 
but the three Storms are just genius characters who very rarely say any words in this one. Um, And their presence on screen is fucking great. I love them. They're all comp- three completely different like uh, characters in that. You watch them and you think all three of them have completely different backgrounds. Um, yeah. The use of them is perfect. They're not overused in the movie. You can very easily overuse these characters in the movie. And yeah. um, I love the fact that, like with a lot of things when it comes to smoke and mirrors, so to speak, um, or mysticism or magic or fantasy or whatever, um, as imposing as they are, they can be dispatched kind of easy uh, if you just know what you're doing. If you stand up to them, if you you know if you the 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 the, the potion that they take, which will make them have superhuman powers, is more just a confidence boost more than anything. If you yeah, know what I mean. There's a little bit of MDMA in there. Oh, <laughs> by obviously. The yeah. by, by the way, they're uh, like grabbing each other's shoulders and stuff in the lift. It's like, yeah, they're just fucking high as fuck, man. This is, like, this is this is one of them things for me. There are so many questions right in this movie. I don't want them answering. I don't mm-hmm. want to know the answers to these questions. But it's really fun to ask, isn't it? Like. You know, like why can why can thunder just inflate at will? You know, why does that happen? What's in the magic potion? Mm-hmm. Like, why is it, Dennis done? Like, is Wang? A, he's obviously an ex-member of the Chang Sings, isn't he? He's got to be. Yeah. Like with, with the skills that he's got, he knows the hand signal that they do. You know, it's like their mates. Um, like how far back do Egg Shen and Lo Pan go? You know, they do their they do their peasant magic. Where at the end he says, "You never could beat me, Egg Shen." Yeah. Like, it's like fucking hell. Like these have done battle before because. Because Lopan's supposed to be like over a thousand years old. He's two thousand years old, yeah. <laughs> like this guy. It's crazy. So how old is Egg Shen? Like, and do you know what? That's what I fucking love about this film, is that you've just got these really unassuming people that are just fucking badass motherfuckers. Like, you don't expect Dennis Dunn to have these incredible fucking martial arts skills. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he just fucking pulls them out of the bag. Like when they do the first rescue, when they get all the girls, um, you know, from the Wing Kong. And it's like all of a sudden he's just doing this fucking crazy kung fu, and he didn't—he'd never done martial arts before. Dennis done—they literally like just taught him it on on set. Mm-hmm. And he's doing all these flying kicks and stuff, and it's really convincing. Like you don't for a second question that he's this real fucking badass. He just is. And then there's like Egg Shen, who's like the, you know the mystical kind of bus driver, <laughs> yeah. and he's coming out with like this is his destiny like this is the thing he's fucking spent his whole life like building to because you've got this incredible like i love the the maybe we should play another clip of like uh there's him and jack burton where like egg's trying to explain to him he's just like just get to the goddamn point egg (laughs) and like and there's an amazing thing like i said to rachel last night i went look at watch jack burton's face when Egg Shen walks out with his six demon bag, he just kind of stares at him and he's like, all set? And he's like, uh, yeah, ready when, <laughs> ready when you are, Egg. Uh, yeah, like, well, who well, is this guy? Yeah, well, let's do some clips. Yeah, playing in our clip right now. Now for some more bad news. Ready? When this gets worse, come on. 2,258 years ago, the first sovereign emperor, he subjugated Lopan, made him of no flesh evil dream get to the goddamn point egg in order to be whole again he had to find this certain girl of, of his prophecy he had to kill her kill her no well let's go what are we sitting around talking chinese history for when we gotta get oh we are getting ready to strike the final blow well all set yeah ready when you are egg 
I am the past. Come back to haunt you, low pen. Don't get a nigga say K. My God, no. Please, what is that? Don't tell me. You know what I don't like about this? Where is everybody? Preparing for low pen's wedding. We should not be in here. Not this easily. It's a setup, I'm telling you. Lopan is about to take his queen. He's too busy to care. So where is he, Egg? Huh? Where? Time for the medicine. Uh, this does what again, exactly? Huge buzz. Can see things no one else can see. Do things no one else can do. Real things? As real as Lopan. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? Oh, the six demon bag. Terrific, a six demon bag. Sensational. What's in it, Egg? Win. Fire, all that kind of thing. But it's not even just the... I think it's the one-liners as well in this movie are really well done and are actually really, really funny. None of them fall flat. You know, how did you get up there? Wasn't easy! Stand aside. <laughs> and, like, what is that thing as well? Like, I don't think that really exists, does it? Like, a thing you can shoot into the floor and it's like a freaking conveyor belt. Oh, like, that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense because he has to hold it. It's <laughs> yeah. a grown man coming up. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. What, what about, uh, what's it he says um, to the creature in the, the sewers? He will not come back. And he's like, what won't come back? Yeah, <laughs> what, huh? What will come out no more? It's like, well, it's like God, it won't come God out damn no it. more. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. I mean, we, obviously, we played now quite a lot of Jack Burton dialogue. That's still fucking, like, nowhere near, like, half the stuff that he comes oh, out Oh, he's got with. some of the most quotable... This is one of the most quotable lines. Like, checks in the mail I use all the time. Yeah. All the time. Because uh, it's just... Uh, it's great. But once again, that, that to me... Like you're, they talk about introducing a character, right? And you know exactly who you are and who, what you're standing with and who you're dealing with right from the very start, right? That yeah. is maybe one of the best introductions to a character ever because you you're just hearing them bullshit over CB, you know? Yeah. So like, just... you don't even know if anyone's fucking listening. He just likes the fucking sound of his own voice. <laughs> this they're guy, probably, yeah, they, they probably aren't. This is the thing. No one's listening to this dude. Um, he's just out there doing his pork chop express shit. Uh, but what I love about him is, like, he, he's it's full of bravado. It's all this time. You know, I'm not saying I've been everywhere and done everything. You know, you're getting all these like he, he goes through the full spectrum of all these things, and then you find out exactly how non-confrontational he is. When yeah. he does that whole spiel about you know like you know he's he's staring down at you and all the rest, you look that sucker in the eye and you're thinking he's going to go to you know, you know like never back down or something like that. You know, checks in the mail and that's literally all you need to know about Jack <laughs> Burton before he arrives in San Francisco or wherever the movie's set. That's literally yeah. all you need to know about him straight away. Is this guy? Um, it's a bullshitter and I love that about him it's one of the best introductions to a character ever in the history of cinema because you spend yeah. three minutes with him over the top of some credits and you feel like you know him inside out it's brilliant genius yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so it's so fucking perfect yeah and you just think like it's you obviously you can write this stuff because someone has written it but you it almost you just think you, how do you fucking write stuff like that how could you sit down now and pen a movie like this like it's 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 a, such a fucking small percentage of people that can craft this kind of dialogue and this kind of story isn't it it's just like it's so fucking unique 
ah, man, it, it almost like blows my fucking mind, especially like the more stuff I watch, you know, mm-hmm. the more for like modern stuff you watch. I mean, we were talking, I think, before we started recording about like some of the lines of dialogue in a movie you've just seen. Oh, yeah, yeah, that and review like, dropped, dropped uh, two days ago for Escape Room. Okay. And oh, my God, just wooden as fuck. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's easy to write dialogue. It isn't. It is an incredibly difficult thing to write dialogue this good, and that's the reason why this film is so fucking unique. But, oh, man, it's just... Um, it's, a, it's. I think it's a lost art form, and it is a time thing, isn't it? Like you say, everything's so rushed through now. Yeah. You know. You know. I. I can't remember who said it. There's a. There's a famous quote out there. Like the dead. The deadline is basically the killer of creativity. Mm-hmm. Yes. I can't remember who. I can't remember who said that. But yeah, you know, as soon as you give someone a deadline, it's like, well, fucking hell, hang on. I've, you know, I, I. It might take me a year to write something this good. Yeah. You haven't got a year. You haven't got a year. We need the script. You've got a month, and it's like, oh, fucking hell. You imagine. On. You imagine if there'd been a hard, fast, like proper hard, fast deadline on a movie like Abyss, with all the yeah. troubles that were were behind that production. Yep. How Impossible. how 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 many corners would have had to be cut and all the rest to try and make that happen? I just I just feel that there's a there's a certain level where you just need to allow filmmakers to do what filmmakers do and in part through that as well I think especially when you're dealing with the worlds of fantasy and you're dealing with all the stuff that they have to do which are with effects artists are in post when they're adding digital effects um, or it would have been you know kind of very very crude CGI back in the day Yeah, you know adding all this in as well that there are so many moving parts there's so many plates spinning that it is unreasonable to make the time between those plates spinning to falling on the ground shorter every single time by adding things like unnecessary deadlines. I understand you want the movie out, but what's the point of spending all that money on this film and then when it arrives, like not understanding how you sell it? Mm. It's not as if this has just been sprung on you. You've had guys out there seeing the production. You've seen the script. John Carpenter has talked you through it himself. He's told you his vision for the movie that when it finally arrives, you're like, wait one second, the white guy isn't the hero? Yeah. I, I don't, just don't, don't, I don't understand, right? I don't understand. Like, if you're a movie executive, obviously you know a lot about films, that's fine. But if you're a movie executive who's hired a director and hired a writer and hired actors... Why are you getting involved? Like you know yeah. more than than the guys that you've hired to do the job know. I don't understand that. Like you've just got to let them get on with it. Like why you're not the expert? There's a reason you're you're just the fucking guy with the money. You like yeah. to suddenly come in and go right. Hang on a minute, guys. I don't like this. We're not doing that. I don't like the way you've done that. It's like well, hang on. Like we do, and you fucking hired us. So, so just go away and so, let us fucking get, let us get on with it. Yeah, let, let, let me pivot this a little bit then, right? So I, I feel that we have to be balanced and fair. Um, is there anything in Big Trouble Little China that doesn't hold up? I don't think they. I'm, I think I'm like really fucking biased. I honestly don't think. As I was saying to Rachel last night, like the lightning effects are yeah. fucking flawless. On oh, this they're thing. amazing! And, like, they're absolutely it's amazing. So simple. It's so simple the way they do it. It's the way they did fucking Tarantula in the fifties. Mm. It's literally just superimposing stuff. Um, but it's weird because if that was done today, it would not look anywhere near as convincing. And that kind of fucking blows my mind mm-hmm. that like the CG that they'd use in two thousand and nineteen is not as convincing as just some really basic like overlay that they do in like nineteen eighty six. Um, I think the set design's fucking incredible in this. Mm. Like 
when you know when you look at like the, the big grand hall at the end where Lopan's getting married, and yeah. it's like someone fucking built that. Yes. <laughs> and like a lot of this stuff they did, like when you look down a massive long corridor that goes on and on and on, that's basically a camera trick. That's basically a, a you know a set that's been built really miniature at the end just yeah. to give the false illusion that it's you know this stuff like that. Um, fucking yeah it's it's crazy that people have, have built that set and then they just fucking like blow it up don't they at the end um, yeah <laughs> in, in saying, if ever there was that this has to go right first take <laughs> fucking hell yeah <laughs> jesus christ um i mean i to be honest i think the, you know you said the martial arts doesn't really hold up i kind of think it does I, it's not that um, i don't think it holds up i just think that of the era it's it's noticeably not as good as other movies, I think that I think there is a reason behind that. I think it's because it's grounded in this kind of fantasy realm. It's not mm. a martial arts movie, you know what I mean? No. A martial arts movie has better martial arts, but the use of it here at times, I'm like, mm. and it's very. I mean, there's some there's some wicked stuff like you know when um, literally when Wang just stabs the guardian in the head and yeah. all the fucking guards turn around and like Jack shoots the ceiling and like knocks the fucking like the you know the concrete down on his head. Mm. There's there's a scene where Egg Shen then throws like one of his like thing from his six demon bag, and just as the explosion finishes, there's a there's a, a Chang Sing in a in a yellow turban, and he does like this fucking double kick where he like yeah. kicks kicks two guys with the same fucking leg and then does like three spinning back things in like about two seconds. That kind of stuff's fucking wicked. I don't think I've ever seen someone do that like double kick. I mean I know like Scott Adkins does that kind of shit now in like Boyka. Yeah, but like back then, yeah, like you know, kicking two guys with the same fucking leg before you hit the ground, man. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's super, it's super, super cool. It. It's not I, like I, that's I'm not levying that as a criticism. I think it, it works in this movie. I think if you pivot this to more of a martial arts movie, I think you lose the spirit and purpose of this movie. I think it has to be there as an aside. It's part of mm. the action without being the 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 throng of your attention. It shouldn't be. It should be as a way to get... It's almost like a video game. Anything that happens in this movie should get you from where you are to the next level. Yeah. I think it does that really, really, really well. Um... I'm like you, there is really nothing in Big Trouble Little China that I think hasn't held up or hasn't really worked. I mean, the HD render has made the flying eyeball demon more noticeable as a kind of like a superimposed effect. Yeah, I mean, there's a shot when Wang, when Wang stabs it in the fucking head, yeah. it looks wicked just before that, but yeah, the bits where it appears in the corridor and stuff. And But that's not, not John Carpenter's not fault. You know no, of course I mean? it's not. You know, on it VHS wasn't meant to be that looks fine. Yeah, in VHS that looks fine. Even on DVD yeah, that looks fine. It's yeah. the HD I mean, render uh, is just too much now for there's, it. There's a couple of bits where you can see the the wires, like when uh, Rain like gets stabbed in the chest and goes flying into the the, the big like statue. Yeah. You can see the wire that he runs through on, um, and also like when the storms go into the brothel and take uh, Mao Yin, like you can also see the wire when yeah. lightning kind of. But you know, fucking hell! Like it was 1986. They didn't dream that you were going to be able to see of like this pristine stuff. Do you know what's funny as well? You know, like when I was a kid, and I watched that scene where like he's you know he's, he's Henry Swanson. Oh, Henry Swanson fucking, is the greatest I, thing ever. <laughs> I didn't get it because I just thought, why is he get? Why are they in a hotel? I, just, I didn't know he's a brothel. Why is he? Why are they? Why is Mal in like in a hotel? 
why is he like talking about his wife like mm. Jack isn't married you know like you just don't fucking get it do you when you're fucking eight years old that they're <laughs> she's a prostitute yeah and like Meow, Meow Yin wasn't stolen for Lo Pan initially Mao Yin was stolen for just to sell a fucking girl to the to the whorehouse you know yes. it just and it turns out that she's got green eyes they didn't fucking know that when they took her mm-hmm. you know they were going they were going to go and steal Gracie Law's like friend from the airport that's who they were that was their original target yeah and it's just funny, like, and yeah, Henry Swanson, he's such a knob, isn't he? And you just think that's just another perfect example of Kurt Russell. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's such a dweeb and he's such a sleaze. You know, like that, that laugh that he does, like, <laughs> yeah. <it's> just, like <laughs> creepy bastard. But yeah, that's fucking wicked as well. Like, that, like, just show, that's where you first get to see just how fucking hard the storms are as well. Cause, like, Jack lays two big fucking haymakers. Oh, I love punches. that, yeah. <laughs> And he just fucking like jumps up and like two footed kicks him, <laughs> and he just goes flying. Yeah, he, he two footed like, foot kicks him without jumping up though. I think that's what I love about that scene. It's, yeah, it's just, not noticeable that Rain actually jumps up, which means from a vertical standing position, his two legs fly up in front yeah, of him. His two feet are together, perfectly <laughs> forward, and then he just fucking lands. It's like wow, that guy is not to be messed with. Holy shit! <laughs> oh. I love that scene as well when you can see the ceiling's obviously been ripped out and you see them all flying past with the green effect in the background and it's just fucking yeah. it's fucking great. And then we can go one step removed from the movie to an extent and then talk about the Carpenter score for this movie, which is fucking great. I think it's one of the most unique movie scores mm-hmm. and like you know when you just I don't know if you ever listen to just the score on its oh, own, but I've many, got like I've got the extended one um, that came out like a, a while back where it's the whole film because and it obviously before when you could only fit so much on a CD, I think it was like, you know, 70 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is obviously I've got like the whole thing from start to finish and it literally like the score tells a story. It's almost like if you just show if you just played someone that score, you kind of know what the film's about before you've even seen the film. I just think, yeah, it's such a fucking unique so unique and it's a bit like um oh what's the other one that's a bit like you know like in commando yep. when, they, when they just had fucking steel drums and pan pipes like no one's yep. ever done that before <laughs> and they've never done it since and it's like for me like big Trouble in little china no other movie score in their fucking history of movies sounds like that it's just fucking incredible uh, yeah to, to, everything just fits like a glove in this movie um... and the way and the way the score kicks in as well because there's some incredible exposition in there and you know what's really funny as well like when i went to watch that film on the screening mm-hmm. you know when gracie law kind of puts her hand on like wang's shoulder and she's going to go oh man this is like the biggest cutthroat man you can't just walk in and out of there like <laughs> <Yeah>. the wind <laughs> that's blatantly john carpenter taking a fucking stab at people that look at the camera and just do exposition oh yeah because as, as the way she says such... it because even like yeah. The other characters almost look at her as if they go, "Come on, hurry, can we hurry? This, can we hurry this up?" It's just like such a knowing kind of, yeah. This is the bit of exposition where we're just blatantly just almost going to look at the camera and tell you this. And it's funny because the the rest of the exposition in the film, like the stuff Egg Shen's doing, where he's like doing the fortune telling kind of thing, and like the score kicks in. It, I think it's so believable how he's kind of, you know, we've got to wait and like the goat butts against the edge and all that kind of shit. Mm. It's like, it just pulls you in, I think, to that, to the movie. Like the atmosphere is so fucking John Carpenter, isn't it? Being able to put like dialogue and music and the way the camera like kind of pans in. It's just fucking, it's incredible, man. Let's, let's not shortchange, because uh, I feel we, we have to an extent, Kim Cattrall in this movie is great. So good. And it's a lot of that, 
a lot of what you're saying there. The the kind of she is the exposition. Um, yeah. In some respects, she knows more, but she's going to deliver all this to the audience because the Chinese people here are being a bit sketchy with what they can tell us and what they can't. Um, yeah, right. But she's brilliant. She works really well off uh, Kurt Russell. She's very, very, very funny, and she does deliver very fast dialogue. <laughs> um, and a way which I really, really like. And yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, obviously, we've played Jack Burton clips mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that really shouldn't take away from like Egg Shen's got some incredible dialogue. Like Gracie Law's got incredible dialogue. Mm-hmm. Wang's dialogue. I mean, David Lopan, the storms. Like, it's not like anyone gets shortchanged in this film. But that's Everyone's why got something to do. That's why, to me, it's so confusing for our studio execs to think that this is Jack Burton's movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I could understand if he was the, the sole driving force, he had all the best lines, he did all the best stuff, but he doesn't. Um and yeah, I think I think that's I think that's really the casting's great, the score's great, really holds up. It's like it's an action romp if ever there was one. Um yeah, I think it's to me this is the a, a great example of the the extent that Carpenter went through his journey, uh, that, that journey kind of starting with Assault in Precinct 13, this very nihilistic, very bleak kind of Rosetta Stone for what would be the first decade of his work. He plays back into yeah. a lot of the things he did in that movie and then you, you span them out and then he closes out the decade of cinema, his decade of cinema, with this really upbeat, very vibrant... You know, very loud, you know, action-packed, fun movie, which is in yeah. complete contrast to the first movie that hits the cinema for him, which is, you know, Assault in Precinct 13. And unfortunately, it's the it's the beginning of, not the end, but the beginning of his disillusionment with... Yeah, I mean, he's so disenfranchised at that point, isn't he? Yeah. To, to put your heart and soul into a film that is genuinely one of the most wonderful films ever made, just to be told, that's shit, mate. We don't yeah. like it. It's like, what the fuck? And imagine that. Because they were wrong. Obviously, it's not like it turns out, oh, they were right after all, it is a shit film. No, like, just some fucking dickhead just pulls the plug on your, you know, on your babies. It's like, man, I, I yeah, I feel so fucking bad for John Carpenter, really, because apparently the only reason he got to make this was because of Starman. Yeah, like every night, nobody liked the fucking thing because you know they made a film in the same year that had a, a friendly alien, so yeah. everyone went, Well, fucking hell, like nihilistic shite. No one was ready for that in 1981. Mm-hmm. So, like, they make Starman that gets a fucking Oscar nomination, and all of a sudden he's Golden Boy again. So, they give him the money for this, and it's like, fucking hell, like the poor guy just having to like make stuff that he doesn't really want to make just so he can make something that he does want to make, and then they don't like that, and fucking. Yeah, it's it's weird with John Carpenter, isn't it? Because his body of work, looking back, is just fucking incredible. There's a and... few things in there that I... I mean, there's maybe two Carpenter movies that I would say I don't like, but everything else is from a, a scale of like to love dearly. You know what I mean? It's yeah, I mean, really... so, so, what, so obviously, so on Precinct 13, I'd say I love that. Yeah. Um, obviously, Halloween, favourite horror movie of all time. Uh, the Thing... <laughs> probably my second favorite movie of all time <laughs> um then escape from new york's like that's pretty great i really like escape from la as well as stupid as we, it is. we were talking um, about this yesterday both me and liam fall into the camp of actually have quite a lot of time for that movie 
Yeah, it's really, I mean, the surfing scene is just fucking ludicrous, but at that point, it's like, what, you don't want to just another rehash of Escape from New York, they've got to do something a little bit different. John Carpenter's just fucking having fun there. Yeah. That's just John Carpenter just fucking going, oh, well, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. Obviously, the fog, fucking in, insane, like we talked about that in your in your top 10 80s, it's mm-hmm. fucking up there, isn't it? Greatest, greatest ghost story ever told. I mean, They Live is ridiculously ahead of its time you know like people are obeying everything these days every you yeah. know you're told what to like what to, you know everything is he just fucking knew that and that's that's 30 years ago he kind of saw that coming christine's fucking brilliant i uh-huh. absolutely love that prince of darkness for all its faults is an incredibly well shot atmospheric movie with some oh, great yeah. practical effects um yeah, man, it's fucking John Carpenter. Even even, like, even late day, even late day, John Carpenter, where you're getting vampires like James Wood is amazing. And <laughs> I really enjoy vampires. Yeah. I think that's fucking great. Ghost of Mars, uh, I like. I know I'm, I'm I'm in the minority on that one. Ghost of Mars not is a movie. Me, not 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 in this fucking conversation, yeah. you know, dude. <laughs> I, I really like I'm Ghost well of Mars. It. So I, I think, think yeah, yeah, even even at his worst, I, I mean, I, I'm not a in big the mouth fan. Of madness. Oh, yeah, great! One of the most underrated movies of the nineties. Um, yeah, I and think the Ward. I mean, for all of the Ward's faults, I still watch it every couple of years. Like, I don't hate it. Yeah. You know, it's not it's... a bad horror movie. It's just not a great John Carpenter movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The only two that I've, I, I mean, I'm not a, a big fan of Starman. I think it's all right for what it is. It's a bit too fluffy for for my liking. Um, I don't yeah. really like his remake of Village of the Damned. If I'm honest, I think it's it's just a bit yeah. bland. But then I think yeah, the original Village of the Damned is a bit bland. And Memoirs. Yeah. I'm of not really. Man. I'm not that into films with fucking like kids in. To be honest, in yeah. that way, um, Children of the Corn, the first one's kind of watchable. You know, it's just it's it's not for me. If you're going to put kids into a film and make them evil, it kind of just doesn't work for me, really. Yeah, and Memoirs um, of an Invisible Man also falls a bit short for me. I'm not a big fan of that movie at all. Yeah, I, I absolutely adored it when I was younger. I haven't seen it for probably 20 years, and yeah. I don't know if, I'm, if I'd still like it. Someone's watching me is a fucking great little precursor to, to Halloween with the atmosphere. Absolutely brilliant, yeah. Absolutely. Really good leading lady in that. That's just like John Carpenter writing really fucking strong female characters. Even in the seventies, this is a woman that does not need a man. She yeah. doesn't fucking rely on a man. She can do all that. She can fucking fix her car herself. You know, she gets like she can fix fix electrical devices in the home on her own. This is like John Carpenter putting it out there that women are fucking strong, strong characters. Um, that's a fucking great little film. Uh, I mean. Dark Star, I struggle to get through that to be honest. I, I mean, there's some really interesting concepts in Dark Star, and there's some kind of wonderful scenes in it. But I mean, it is a it is a uni movie, and you can tell if you made it in yeah. university, and you can tell watching it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but if, you know, as far as a, a resume of movies go, I mean, he is my favourite director. Mm-hmm. It's you know, like you know, it is good and it's bad. His, his good stuff is like jaw-droppingly incredible, and his not so good stuff is still really good fun. I mean, what more can you fucking ask for? Agreed, agreed. This feels like a good time for me to ask you about grades. Uh, now, this might be academic. I got a feeling it probably is. Uh, you know all about podcasts under the stairs. Grades we do Netflix. Well, old school Netflix grades. I should probably switch this over to Letterbox grades because that makes more sense nowadays. Um, but it's uh, one through five. One is hated it. Two is didn't like it. Three is liked it. Four is really liked it. Five is loved it. Andy Blockley, tell me what you will give. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. 
Yeah, well, this film kind of is in a little room on its own, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to rain. Obviously, it's a five. Um, this this movie literally fucking fills my heart with joy, <laughs> like more than any other more than any other film. This is like my desert island movie. If I could only watch one film for the rest of my life, and that's the only one I could watch, it would be this one. Like it's fucking unbelievable. I think maybe we should just play the clip of my favorite bit of the film as well. well let's do it. Which is, a, which is a really kind of downplay. Like it's not a really particularly in, like bit, incredible bit of action or anything. It's just it's it's almost it's it's a look between two characters, which is my favorite bit of the film that like gives me fucking goosebumps. So let's play the clip and then I'll explain what I mean. Now we must satisfy the first suffering emperor by destroying this. <laughs> Not so fast, gentlemen. Oh, is it too much to ask, Thunder? Kill him for me. <laughs> Won't solve anything, Dave. Too many people around here been dropping like flies already and where's that getting us huh nowhere fast ah you know what old jack burton always says at a time like this who jack burton me old jack always says what the hell yeah so for me it's um it's it's the bit where he says yeah i mean just the fact that he's fucking he's ready to front off these two guys i mean lopan is now of flesh and he's probably fucking knows some shit obviously thunder is you know could just tear your head off with his bare hand he's already shattered an uzi nine millimeter right in front of you i love how jack burton still got the balls just to come in and go all right won't solve anything gentlemen (laughs) (laughs) and then it's like he was happy to face them on his own right jack burton was going to fucking go and take these two guys in on his own but literally just as he's about to his best mate comes in does like a fucking quadruple somersault over his head and then it's the look, right? It's the music score lands, blah, 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 like, and the music kind of kicks in. And it's the way Jack and Wayne just look at each other and like almost nod. Mm-hmm. For me, that's that's the fucking greatest bit in the film for me because th- that look between them, obviously, like they've been directed to do that. You know, like, I'm sure that was in the scripts, you know, so you look at him and nod at each other. But it's almost like that little look between them to just encapsulates everything that they've just been through together. Like the whole fuck, it just shows the understanding of Dennis Stern and Kurt Russell. Like they they just understand those characters so fucking perfectly. And Jack is no longer the outsider at this point. Like this is the bit now where Jack Burton, for his you know for for the fool that he is, getting stuck under the the feline guard and shooting the fucking concrete on his head. He's now fucking arrived, and he is one of the fucking crew. And just that look between them two, almost like, right, let's fucking do this, man. We've come this far. Let's take this guy out. It just fucking gives me goosebumps. And I just think, fucking hell, like, it's so fucking perfect. And then, obviously, Jack Burton, he comes through at the end and, you know, throws the knife into the guy's forehead and saves the day after just basically being a useless piece of shit for the whole fucking (laughs) film. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's perfect. It's literally cinematic perfection for me, that. Boom! I can't top that. I can't top that. I will say that I agree. It is a five-star movie. Uh, you don't watch that movie as many times as I've watched that movie and not say it's a five-star movie. Oh, yep. well, there we go. That um, is the second and final review of John Carpenter January. An excuse for me to slide in two movies that probably wouldn't get their their fair airtime 
on podcast under the stairs. Now, like I said at the start of this episode, I will be doing more of these kind of quirkier one-off episodes throughout the month. Uh, sorry, throughout the year, not throughout the month. Um, and I'm already trying to formulate what alliteration I can use for February. It might be Fulci February, it might be Fabio Frizzy February, I don't know yet where we're going with it, but I'm going to be doing one a month anyway as an opportunity to cover ground on movies that I genuinely just don't have the time on here to talk about or create some sort of weird, loose, ropey bridge um, in order to cover It's a good movie though, isn't it? Because, you, you know, as much as there's some incredible new horror content coming out after five years of podcasting man you need to kind of go well fucking hell we need to talk about something else yeah after Especially five years you've of... got so many loves as well you've got so many genres that you love aside from horror yeah. it is good to get you know, give them a bit of airtime, man it's cool agreed agreed and um this has been good i've really enjoyed this andy are you going to stick around to close out the show with me yes yeah yes let's do it do you know what it is like for the, for the listeners that don't know basically my laptop fucked up um, and the, the show nearly didn't get recorded. It turns out that like recording with my wireless headphones on using my phone is like a means of communication is fucking loads better. And I'm so excited about this film. I'm, I'm fucking pacing up and down the room. And it's wicked because you can't do that when you like near a microphone, can you? Because you just hear me like fading in and out, fading in and out. So um, yeah, I'm fucking proper psyched up. So yeah, I'd love to stay. And, Close it out while I'm pacing up and down my living yeah, room. Yeah, we, we can we can hype up the next Andy Loves Art House. So we're going to do that right after this break, and we're closing up the show. You're listening to the podcast under the stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been John Carpenter January with reviews of Assault and Precinct 13 featuring Liam Rafferty from Scotland Liam vs Evil and Big Trouble in Little China with my guest who's still with me, Andy Blockley. Andy, we finally got there. We finally covered it on podcast Under the Stairs. Ah, man. Like, it's it's great just to get it all out there. I mean, obviously, I know how much I fucking love this film and uh, to be able to kind of talk about it with someone that appreciates it as much because for me... It's almost like somebody fucking climbed in my brain, <laughs> had a real good look around in there, and then went, right, we're going to go make a film. It's like someone literally made this film for me. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, the, it's, it's fucking perfect. So to be able to talk about it with someone that I don't think anyone can possibly like this film more than me, but I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that like it just as much, and obviously you're one of them. So oh, yes. I really fucking appreciate being able to come and kind of vent this film that I've, you know, just been in love with for about 30 years. Nice, nice. And you will be joining me soon as well. In the next couple of weeks, we will be reconvening for Andy Loves Art House. And we are taking a little look at Barbarian Studio by Peter Strickland. Now, you had sent me a picture on Facebook of you holding a copy of said movie. So you're yeah, all well, geared up ready to rock. Um, apparently the sound design on it's like really good and sometimes when you like source films from other places yes. like you you don't get the full surround sound so oh, i kind of went on to um went on to ebay and i got this for like two quid oh yeah i mean that's but, perfect right. I, yeah. I mean this is a movie that is is a genre movie based not only because of the content of what is of what the guy is working on as a movie project but because of the sound this is a movie that uses sound design very, very, very cleverly. You're got, you, I, I hope you have a ball with it. I look forward to our conversation about it and we'll see if um, we can finally find a movie 
that Andy loves in Art House. We're, we're kind of we're, we're kind of about there. We had Andy really likes killing him. Yeah, he really game. likes Art House. Yeah, yeah uh, but we haven't quite had the love yet. So let's see if uh, we land it with a little bit of Peter Strickland. Um, now. There is a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. I'm trying to shorten this spiel down, so let's see if we, we get there. Quickly, Apple Podcasts, the best way to check us out. Subscribe to the feed and also leave us a rating and review. It really helps us. You can check us out at Stitcher Smart Radio, SoundCloud, Google Play and the TuneIn app. Come to the website, it's tputzcast.com. Buy merch to support the show from tputzcast.bigcartel.com. You can check out two places, two avenues on Facebook. If you want to interact with our community of listeners, go to the group page, that's Facebook forward slash groups forward slash cast. If you purely want to know when the shows are dropping and occasionally check out a Thirsty Thursday live stream, then that is our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash cast. And you can interact with myself on the twin prongs of social media sexiness, Instagram and Twitter. Both can be followed at tputzcast. There we go. Nice, short, sharp, succinct and to the point. Andy Blockley, it is always a pleasure chatting to you my friend I look forward to reconvening with you um, for a bit of uh, Barbarian Sim Studio and I think at that point we should try and formalise a date here for when we're going to bring back doing the nasty we're just putting it off now we're putting off the inevitable yeah Put off the and there's a reason we're putting it off because I had a look at the list of films it's terrible fuck I mean there's some fucking incredible stuff in there actually like mm-hmm. you know um, the, the, the best films in that list are better than the best films in the original list. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just there's also a lot of fucking... <laughs> like, some of the titles alone, the names of some of them are just like, oh, my God, what is... What the fuck is... <laughs> what is happening with the world? Um, yeah. yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. It's going to be painful. It's going to be miserable at times, but it's going to be entertaining, and that's what it's all about. It's all about the entertainment. Um, do you want to say goodbye to my listeners, please? Yep, thank you, listeners, for listening to me rant on about this incredible film. So, it's probably one of the most, uh, one of my favourite episodes I've done with you, actually, dude. Boom! I love it. I love it when you say that, and we're going to go from that dizzying high inevitably to some dizzying low. Um, it's going to happen. It's going to happen somewhere down the line. You're going to be like, I hate you for bringing me on this show. It will eventually. Next, probably next, next time we do an episode. <laughs> It's all about contrast, it's all about contrast. Right, ladies and gents, all that is left for me to say is, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is, and whatever you're up to in this big, bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. The podcast Under the Stairs will return on Wednesday with a special bonus review of the new Nicholas Pesh movie, Piercing, uh, which is based on a novel by the same dude that wrote Audition, so you just know that some funky shit happens in that movie. Uh, but yeah, take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off. Yeah.